Hello, everyone, and welcome to Season 2 of the War Porn Podcast. Why is it Season 2? Because that's what I've decided. Uh, we, this is going to be the newest in a new style of episode where we do largely the same thing but better. Um, we're also planning on bringing in some guests, so look forward to that in the future. And uh, who knows? The, the world is our oyster. We're pretty excited about this episode. We're talking about mental health diagnosis, the good, the bad, the ugly, and uh, a lot of stories in between. And we're really excited to bring you this one. I think it's one of our best. Uh, as always, we're going to uh, push the come on out to the social medias, the Instagrams, the Twitters, at Warporn Podcast, or whatever the hell we have it as. Uh, one of them, I think Instagram, doesn't let you use the word porn, so it's like at war p underscore rn podcast, or something to that effect. Or you can come on down to the Patreon, where you can get exclusive episodes, and also chat with us, the creators of the Warporn Podcast, whenever we... Remember to do that. Uh, and more content's going to be coming soon. Uh, a lot of fun stuff in the pipeline. So head on over to Warporn Podcast. Uh, Patreon. It's like Patreon backslash. I don't know. You know better than me. Go find it. I believe in you. Anyway, I hope you guys enjoy this episode. And let us know what you think. Season 2. New me. New Gene. New war porn. A word that rhymes with Gene. All right, we did it. One take, Pat. Nailed it. Pew. Do 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 This is the theme song. War porn. War porn song. Hey, we did it. We tried to not yell as loud this time, so I have to cut the entire intro. Yes. How are How are you? I good. We Gene and I just had dinner together. We did, and it was good. It was good. We had some. Fried, uh... Oh, yeah, we had fried devil eggs. I'm oh, gonna be honest, I don't feel like them deep frying them made them better. No. I, I wish they had just deviled had, them. I was, like, as I was eating them, I was like, I think I'd prefer this as a deviled egg. Yeah, because, like, the fry was so disconnected from the actual <laughs> it, it, egg. It was, and then the egg was, like, a little bit too cool. Yeah! And I was like, mmm. Yeah, I, I, I... I'm here in spirit, perhaps not in execution. Yeah, I ate two of those and was like, he can have the rest. I was, I saw, and then I ate two and was like, I think I'm good. Yeah. Oh, man. Uh, uh, so we, we tried, though. We tried yeah. a new thing, which for great. me is... Uh, life is all about that. I'm not, I'm not the best at I've been I've been eating the same burrito the same way mm-hmm. since I moved to this apartment. I get it like three or four times a week. Yeah. No, I'm the same way. I find like one thing I like, and I'm like, I'm going to buy like 40 of them, and I'll be set for the week. You just eat it. I usually have like... Um, Sometimes I'll get specific things. Like, I remember there was this one summer where I became obsessed with a very particular kind of Italian ice. Oh. And I would have to... I figured out what grocery stores in the entirety yeah. of Connecticut yeah. had it. Because yeah. I would run out of them at one place and I would drive <laughs> oh to a different... God. like. An hour away, mm-hmm. where I'd like pick it up at work, yes, because I needed that exact kind, yes. of Italian ice. By the way, some doctors are like, I don't know, are you autistic? <laughs> no, I do this. In, there's this this brand of chips at Whole Foods called Forager, and it's like very plant based. And so I bought all the Forager chips at my one Whole Foods, and they haven't restocked. So I've gone to the other Whole Foods across town. Bought out all of those. I've literally eaten all the Forger chips in the city of Philadelphia. (laughs) 
I'm like that. This grocery store, I know they're only restocking Gushers because of me. Yep, yep. Oh, because I'm, I go there and it's the exact same amount of boxes yep. as two days ago when I bought a couple. Mm-hmm. And I'm like, I'm the only person in this area of Brooklyn <laughs> yeah. eating Gushers. And I'm I'm the only one that's making this grocery store. You know what's funny is the last episode we were recording in here and... Midway through, I looked, and you had a big box of Gushers. Do I not the today? I ate, yeah. Oh, I have one today, see? Yeah. I, ate, I think I ate 12 packs Jesus! They're so good, though. They're honestly not... They're pretty low-calorie, and they're, um, they don't upset my stomach, so of the snacks that I get into, they're probably the best for it, me. You might as well take, like, a hypodermic needle, fill it with just sugar, and... It's not as much as you think. It's only, like... 50 calories per bag. Yeah, but the, it, what's it made? It's made of, like, toxic sugar goo. No, it's made of, like, um... I forget. It's not gelatin, so they're vegan. They are vegan? Yeah. Oh. I mean, there's probably cornstarch in there. Oh, yeah. I mean, I'm not saying they're healthy. I'm saying compared to, like, <laughs> when I'm like, I'm just gonna eat this block of cheese. Oh, yeah. Even though I'm lactose intolerant. Oh, yeah, it's the best. Or, like, I have, like two cartons of ice cream in the fridge oh, and I'm like, they're going to hurt me. It's going to physically hurt me. Oh, but it's, but that's like part of the thrill, <laughs> right? Yeah. When I'm depressed, I'm like, I don't care. I'm already in pain. Yeah. On a, oh, actually, I probably eat cheese and dairy when I'm depressed because then I can focus on my physical stomach yeah, ache yeah. and not the, the pang of The existence. mental anguish. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <gasps> Why, God? Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, that's a good coping strategy. It's I hard. like it. That's my self-harm. Cheese. <laughs> cheese. Cheese is my self-harm. You know what's it's weird? It's my new quote. I'm going to write that on a post-it. What's weird about dairy is, is that I, I too am lactose intolerant. Some In some forms, I'll eat it and I'll be good. I will too. I but, think it's how the lactose gets... Because if I have milk, we're fucking yeah, done. Yeah, yeah. I can't... Like, that's when it's like, this has become an emergency. Mm-hmm. I have to take a shit in this Toys R Us. Yeah. <laughs> No, when I first moved to New York, because it's, you know, New York, it's so hard to find a bathroom. A public toilet. So you got to yeah. think like, okay, what will be public? And I was with uh, my girlfriend at the time and she was like, well, there's this Toys R Us. They probably have a bathroom. So I had to go there and it was like, when I say it was an emergency. <laughs> That's so And weird. I'm like sitting in there and like kids are running in and oh out. And I'm God. like, this couldn't get <laughs> worse. Oh I'm just... Why, God? Why, children? Um, That reminds me. So yesterday, I went to a diner in New Jersey, and I ate a meal with a woman, and then I went to the bathroom to pee, and I I thought I was alone in the bathroom, and so I let out a very squeaky fart, and I heard a giggle come from one of the stalls, (laughs) and I thought, only in New Jersey would that happen. Just a, a, a squeaky fart followed by a mysterious giggle. <laughs> it was it was a really magical moment. Hi, welcome to the Warporn Podcast, where we talk about our bowel movements. Honestly, I, we've gotten into our genitalia and butts yeah. a few times. We haven't gotten so much into the digestive stuff. I feel like you and I both are like, this isn't really a comedy podcast. <laughs> and then, but then we talk about Dogecoin and yeah. Elon Musk and poops and, <laughs> and farts. Poops. Yeah. And it's like... yeah. Aren't we, though? I mean, you know, you know, call a spade a spade, right? That's racist. Oh, is it really? I actually... Yeah. It might be. I thought it was a David Spade reference. (laughs) I'm... So, I'm Gene Meyer. I'm a clinical therapist, and uh, I'm of Jewish background. 
Wow, you said that so unconfrontational. I know, today. I know. Well, I just want I want to I want to preface this entire podcast by we were having a really good conversation. We were before the podcast. We were supposed to have a live episode today, but I'm in pain so, and I might pee out a stone. Yeah, yeah. But you said something very telling. You're like, why aren't you this good on the podcast? <laughs> like, we're having this conversation. And you're saying some really brilliant stuff and you're actually being funny. But as soon as I hit record, you become this like nervous animatronic robot. So now... I actually believe I said obnoxious contrarian <laughs> obsessed yeah. with the sound of their own burps. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So now, while I'm talking to you, in the back of my mind, I'm thinking, don't be that obnoxious contrarian and it's literally making me be that obnoxious contrarian so I'll thank you for that show you little voice thank you for that patrick you're welcome um just remember uh we are we are being watched so be sure to not be yourself ever for okay. even a moment yes god forbid right. they see you're right you're right what if they were to perceive you, Gene? I know. What if they liked you for who you were? I know, that's weird. Ugh. I will say, though, that sometimes I, I desperately don't want to be perceived. Yeah, yeah, it's exhausting. I wish there was a button you could hit on the internet that would erase everything you've ever done mm-hmm. for the amount of time you decided. Like 15 minutes? Like, Or just like, you're like, I'm taking a break from the internet, and then you just stop existing on it. Like, mm-hmm. all of your social media stop existing Every post you've ever made goes away. People aren't even allowed to say your name. You become yeah. just like not, and then you can just like turn the switch, put the back, switch back, on, and you're yeah. like, "I'm back, bitches!" Yeah, dude. Because otherwise, it's just you stop paying attention to the conversation that's happening about you. Mm-hmm. Not really about you, but so, uh, but about the uh, the person that you play on the internet. Your persona. Yes. One of the one of the things I find I think we'll go into this conversation that I find very difficult and have been struggling with lately is that one of the best strategies for operating on social media is to create a character who is not you mm. so that you have a level of separation from that. But the other the the caveat to that is that social media rewards vulnerability and honesty. Yes. So it's very hard to play a character who is also vulnerable and honest. The lines get very blurry. Well, first of all, where did you hear the idea that it's a good strategy to play a character? I because th- like if you don't like if I like my when I started on TikTok, I was much more animated and TikTok like, hey, I'm yelling in the mirror. Like I would sometimes before I'd start go, what emotion best conveys what I want to say, and then I would get into the i'd be like oh anger i'm gonna be absurdly angry Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. oh i'm excited i'm gonna be absurdly excited like because it'll get me more views and and stuff right and then when people were like god this guy fucking sucks (laughs) i would have i would sort of chuckle because i'd be like yeah that character is a bit much Uh, and they're not i wouldn't feel like they were like you the person suck because they don't know me. Right. But the more I kind of let my own self exist on the internet, the more it's become incredibly personal. Mm-hmm. Because it's basically like, hey, fuck you. Yeah. Not the character you inhabit. Not an exaggerated version of you. Specifically you. I, w- I don't like who you are. What was the point where you were, you made the decision like, I'm going to start being myself more on this platform. I don't think it was like a moment I decided to do it. 
Though I will say, I think when Trump stopped being the president, I stopped, uh, I changed my entire content strategy. To what? To a more me. Because for a while it had become hyper-political. A lot of it was just in response to him. Like, I just, I and I like inflated my personality to match and like, because I'm yelling about this over-the-top insane person, I'm going to be an over-the-top and insane right, person. Right. Energy for energy. And then as as I, this, this shift of like the, the platform and the algorithms changed a bunch. And honestly, people just stopped yelling into their mirrors yeah. in general on TikTok. There was like a trend. I did notice that. And it's harder to hold your phone out and look at it and be like, man, fuck! Yeah. Like, and don't get me wrong, I've done it here and there. But it feels more personal. Then I'm jumping in front of the mirror. Mm-hmm. So I just have been like, I don't know. I, I've, I've stripped away. I've also discovered that I really, really hate the artifice of like, hey there, special name for my followers. Come on down on two. And I, I, I saw someone, I, a friend of mine, I won't say any names, um, that I exist with on the internet. I watched them. We were about to start a game of something and they were themselves. And then as soon as they went live, it was like, switch, flipped, social media mode, go. And I was like, oh, I hate that. Oh. And I was, that's when I, around then, I was like, I'm not going to call my followers any particular cutesy names. I'm also not a fan of those. I'm like, that's going to accentuate the um, parasocial aspect of all of this. And, uh... So I just started sort of being more of myself and less of the, like, character. character. But I hate that now because people are, like, cruel to specifically me. Mm-hmm. And I'm like, I don't know which one was worse. Maybe social media sucks. It, well, I mean, <laughs> first of all, I, I will say that that's, like, the number one common denominator is that the internet is awful. Right. But so you started being yourself more, being more vulnerable or vulnerable, as you like to say it. Do I say a vulnerable? You, you say it in a weird way. Do I? You do. I, I can't quite put my finger on it. Vul- but you, vulnerable. Vul- vuln- vulnerable. 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 Um, I do. Oh my God, I'm putting a stank on yeah. it. Yeah. But I, I think, yeah, so when people are going to criticize it, it does feel more personal. But have you noticed that, like, there's also been people connect with it more? Uh, not from a numbers standpoint, but that might be a... I still think controversy sells. The wh- Most of my big videos that have popped off lately have either been me shouting about the VA, uh, taking a controversial stance in a liberal space with uh, gun control... Uh, and yesterday the viral video that I had was me making fun of the idea that the vaccines are chipped. Right. So basic, and like, even though I haven't been getting a lot of opposition to them, it's still like, get on the phone, find a thing to complain about, does better than like, I like this thing about this TV show. Yeah. Yeah. For whatever reason, like TikTok is, if it's like a a topic that people are interested in or want to talk about. They'll cling on to that. It's got to be a hot take. Yeah. Hot takes people. And it's like, if I say, if I share like a vulnerable story, I hear it now. Yeah. <laughs> if I share a vulnerable story, uh, people probably aren't going to share it as much. Mm-hmm. 
as if I, or as opposed to if I say something that will resonate that like, then they can kind of glom onto and be like, Ooh, I identify with this. I'll send it to all my friends yeah. because they will too. Yeah. Like, or, or yesterday, just a good, a good argument people hadn't thought of. I think if you attack an already, like, that's the other thing is social media. I'm not coming up with a clever new argument. I'm taking the same trot out argument and attacking it from a new angle, mm-hmm. which is why the comments have been so fucking annoying because it's just people being like, well, did you think of this? And I'm like, yes, specifically, I didn't make a video about that because all of you already thought of it. Mm-hmm. Ugh, understand why comedy exists. Yes. But like, all I did was be like, hey, you know, it's stupid thinking there's chips in the vaccines. Everybody already, either you already agree with that or you're a moron. Yeah. I'm not going to change any morons' opinions, so I'm just doing it so that we can all feel validated that we're smarter than the morons. Right. And I took a, instead of being like, because you carry a cell phone, which is the easiest first thought, I thought of the second thought, which is, because the government can't even find where its fucking soldiers are, yeah. they certainly don't know where you are. And, and, and they certainly don't need to know how many times you go to, and I said, the tasty squeeze. Well, and, and in a way, you kind of personalized it, because you're a soldier. and Yeah, so, so you... I used my experience... And that's just comedy 101. The, the comedy, like, it, it's, okay, you've given me A, I think of B, but I went to C. Mm-hmm. And the B was the underspoken, like, and they also, you have self on the track shoot. Like, yeah. So it'd be stupid anyway. But, like, you don't say that part. You say the C, and that's the funny. That's why people identified with this fucking video. Exactly. But I'm annoyed, because then 2,000 people were like, but what about B? Yeah. Did you think of B? B? I'm like, oh, I had to of because I got to see. Yeah. Well, that's, that's you know, we're talking about the lowest Oops, the common arrogance denominator. Did you hear it? What? I said the arrogance in there. Did you hear it? Oh, no. I, I was too busy making my point. The lowest common denominator. <laughs> the lowest common denominator. Of course. Of course, 2,000 people are going to say, well, did you think of your phone? And the thing about posting on the internet is you have to be... Like, every time I post a video, I'm like, okay, what's the worst possible reaction I could get to this? And be like, I'm going to be prepared to have to experience that like 20 times in a row, right? Because I get pretty open about like, oh, my drug use. And I get some nasty comments that are like, oh, you're, you're a pussy. <laughs> uh, you're, <laughs> sounds like you didn't know how to use drugs right. And it's like, okay, you're an asshole, but, you know, have fun. Uh, have you considered doing heroin better? Yeah, exactly. Not that you did. <laughs> yeah, I'm but, sorry to imply that you you said no. drug use, and I was like, yeah, heroin. Yeah, I mean, you know, it's it's, it's all fun and games. Although your uh, you you were uh, addicted to Adderall, right? Which I think will be a good. Oh yeah, Do you want to segue into our talk? Or yeah, yeah, yeah. So this? now that we've warmed each other up, and now that there's a police siren going on in the background, <laughs> <laughs> we wanted to have the window open, but it's New York, so. So, uh, Sorry if that's triggering for anyone. Yeah. Um, so we wanted to do a special episode on uh, mental health diagnoses. Yes. It's something I've been thinking about a lot yeah. the and last couple of weeks. I made a TikTok, I think, about one of it. And it's something I deal with a lot uh, working with my clients, working as a therapist in the field. And I think it's an interesting topic. I agree. Um where do you want to start? Do we want to go early childhood? We were both diagnosed early. Yeah, let's... So, what was the first thing you were diagnosed with? I was diagnosed... Now... Um, well, actually, before that, what was the incident that led you to the psychiatrist's office? I have to, no idea. You don't remember? Nope. 
I don't rem I do I cannot remember a time in my life where I wasn't diagnosed with ADHD where it wasn't oh. a I, I don't remember it's like a my birthmark um <laughs> you've seen this there right here see that birthmark right there it's like a weird little it's like scar. A, it's like the bump right there. You see? Yeah, it? yeah, I see. That it. used to be bright red for the first ten years of my life. What? Yeah, crazy, right? It was like an inch by half inch, bright red. It protruded from my forehead. That's... People called it my push button. Wow. Um, all of my photos have it. Uh, I'll show you later. Yeah. I, I, I have my baby pic. Um, oh, that's your phone. Yeah, get, get out. <laughs> Give me the I don't have your baby pictures on I, my phone. I'm gonna be honest. A little weird that you don't. Yeah, it's true. It's Can I pull true. it up on my computer? Yeah. Let's see it. Um, Let's see your push button. You want to see my push button? Kids would hold me down. <laughs> oh, my, oh, my God. Right? Till I was like 10. See, do you wow. see it now? You see, you yeah, see? yeah, yeah. What? Did you have it removed? No. Um. Here's the thing. A doctor was like, we could very easily remove this. And then my mother came to me, a four-year-old, and was like, do you want to... Do you want us to... And I was like, no, it makes me special. And then I got bullied. Oh, so yeah. Like, oh, I mean, God. on the one hand, I... I guess on the one hand, props to my mother for getting consent about that, but not my penis. Because yeah. I am, <laughs> I yeah. did get circumcised yeah. and I'm not Jewish. She, she so didn't they, they didn't care that. then. Yeah, yeah. They were like, yeah, we're going to, we're going to, you know, genital, we're going to mutilate this child's genitals so he looks like his dad. Not even for religious reasons. <laughs> that's so good. But that's the reason, right? I don't want to get into the whole thing. The, the, yeah. But literally that's... the reasoning was, well, you know, I am. So I'll. Yeah. I just, Although, I'll be honest, kind of glad they did. But oh, yeah. Neither here nor there. Yeah, I mean, you know, to each their own, but I, I'm, you know, I didn't get circumcised for Jewish reasons. I got circumcised for, for American reasons. For American reasons. And, and it's, pretty, it's it's almost ubiquitously common here. Yeah. It's, it's maybe not now. Yeah. But I also don't, if, you, if you're, hey, if you're listening and you're not circumcised, that's fine. Yeah, too. it's totally fine. Yeah. I, I'm not making fun of you. Yeah. I am making fun of you. Yeah. I mean, pa doing? Patrick well, well, is... I can't believe as a baby you didn't... <laughs> I didn't... What? I guess you could do it later in life. Yeah. God, that's got to be worse. That's... Uh, I've heard a couple of comics talk about getting circumcised at like 16. Oof. And it's it does not sound fun. No. It's like a whole surgery. Yeah, Gene. I... Wait, so the moyle doesn't come in when you're I 16? I don't know. <laughs> Are you proud of me for knowing what that is? Yeah, I'm very, I'm very proud of you. For the, our listeners who don't know, in the Jewish the moil, faith, you get a moil, and they um the baby penis cutter. I am I. They use their teeth, right? I mean, maybe not all. The has what? I'm pretty sure. I, I've heard stories, but I've just been like, you know what? I'm gonna pretend like that's not real. It sticks with me because when I heard it, I was like, "Good lord!" Yeah, yeah, that is. We gotta, we gotta Google that up. I'm gonna Google it. How do you spell M O Y L E? Moil just... use teeth. New York City officials link the practice he to uses his mouth. F. Oh my! God. So it is a thing by Orthodox. Wait, click on the Wikipedia. About two thirds of all infant boys born in New York City Hasidic communities who are ultra Orthodox are circumcised in the oral suction manner, according to Rabbi David. You say the last name. Zweibel. Executive Vice President of... Uh, so there you go, ABC News. Wow. That's... About two-thirds. That's just one of those things I wish d just wasn't... That you didn't know? Didn't, yeah. I, I, I was a better person for having not known that existed. 
I'm not going to make any comment because I'm pretty sure. Yeah, because it would be I'm not allowed. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, Anti-Semitic. 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 Uh, I'm not going to voice any opinion other we, than fascination. We are down to 26 TikTok viewers after this conversation. <laughs> we have shed at least 20 viewers with our moil talk. But, <clears throat> well, we're just going to have to get them back. Strawberry birthmark. Both my girls had them too. Well, how interesting. Yeah. Um, anyway, now that we got really derailed yeah. by just a couple of minefields. Yeah, we were talking about... The ADHD. But I will say, I think we navigated pretty well. Yes. 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 Maybe. Or maybe we didn't. I, you know, I mean, it's it's up to the viewers to decide. Uh, guys, if you think that our conversations are wrong, make sure to send this episode to every one of your friends and yep, family. Absolutely. Really push it around S- the internet. Subscribe to our Patreon. Subscribe to our Patreon and let us, you know, you can directly message us about how you didn't like it. Yeah. Um, just pay, you, you, know. could, you two could moil us with your internet teeth. <laughs> All right. I'm sorry. I, I had to. I have to say one terrible thing every 15 minutes and that was it. So <laughs> I'm sorry. I like you, you didn't, you, you didn't use the, the verb circumstance. You used it, the moil as the verb. I know. I oh. know. I know. Even linguistically, it was awful. <laughs> All right, what were we talking about early ADHD, ADHD. So my mother decided uh, she would get my consent before removing my birthmark, uh, but not, you know. So yeah. So I, I said no and, mm-hmm. and am now therefore funny as a result. Yes, yes. Because you were bullied as a oh, child. relentlessly. <laughs> yeah, yeah. That's, that's usually how it I works. don't know if you know this, but kids are cruel. Ooh, yeah. And I had a physical deformity. Yeah. And they, uh, they really latched they really, onto that. They really, yeah. And I also had a severe ADHD mm-hmm. and uh, pr- probably autism. Yeah. So, you know, I was weird on top of that. You were weird and you had a button on I was a weird with a button. Yeah. Yeah. That's a, that's a tough man. It's a recipe for disaster. In, in South Carolina, right? No, no. Connecticut. Connecticut. Okay. I grew up my whole life in Tallinn, Connecticut. Tolland? Tolland. Spelled T-O-L-L-A-N-D. Like Holland with a T. Yeah. Okay. Tolland. Okay. So, uh, let's get back to the ADHD so I don't remember being diagnosed. I have a very early memory of being in like a play, like a, a big room with a giant like stuffed bear and a bunch of other toys. And I waited there for a while and my parents came back and then I went and saw like a doctor and then we left. It had to be like a children's hospital or something. And it was just like the play area mm-hmm. that you keep the kids. I remember that. I remember uh, a lot of my parents fighting about it. I, I think my mom was pretty, again, ba- I don't know, I can't remember, but based on how she is now, I think my mother would probably have been very against any diagnosis, because she, anytime I'm like, hey mom, I think I'm autistic, she gets real defensive, and she goes, no you're not, I had you tested, uh, which she didn't. Okay. Uh, I was tested for ADHD, and then I think she did, uh, one time I really pushed her on it, and she said she read a magazine article. <laughs> Uh, but she refuses to acknowledge that conversation. So. Okay. <laughs> so, wait, you said the playroom was like, was that how they tested? No, I, I just remember waiting there. Uh, but okay. I'm, I don't really remember the testing or anything. I just remember vague D de- Because I was like four. Oh, it was that early. Yeah, I was really young. I remember. This was like, ju- I, I don't think there was a year of my <coughs> schooling where I wasn't diagnosed. I think this was as uh, early as preschool. They were like, this kid... This kid's a lot. I remember around like eight or nine, uh, they took me somewhere 
And I had other learning issues. I had difficulty reading, so they set me up with a specialist, and then I became really good at reading. But they, they sent me somewhere to get tested, and um, I remember there was like this one test. It was like a, a shape, and you had to figure out how the blocks went into that shape. And if it took you like over four minutes, that meant you had ADHD. Something, something like... Oh, I kind of remember something like that. I remember getting IQ tested a lot, but mm -hmm. that was more in like middle school and high school. Right. I remember those tests. Yeah. But like I was in... I mean, maybe it was a little later. Maybe I was six or seven. I just remember very, very early being in and out of like psychiatrist's mm -hmm. office and hospitals. When did Harry Potter come out? Uh, that came out in like, I want to say like 1999. All right. I remember therapy specifically around that time because I got, I, I remember the therapist asked me where I could go and I said Hogwarts and they oh. made a face. They also asked me what I would do if I had a gun. <laughs> they were like, what would you do if you found a gun? And I was like, I don't know, bury it. <laughs> I was very cognizant when I was a child of when I was being asked leading questions. Uh -huh. I, I, for whatever reason could understand that like I'm being tested there's a subtext to this question yeah you're not asking what I would do with a gun in this psychiatrist's office for no out reason. of hand yeah. for no reason you think that I'm violent mm -hmm. and so I tried to give a specific answer that would show that I wasn't because I, I was just annoyed to be asked what, what so were you ever prescribed anything for ADHD? Ritalin, Adderall at one point, Concerta. I remember having. I'm trying to remember. I was in like the fourth grade, maybe when I the most of the memories I have about being asked if I had taken my meds that day. Maybe before that, I always had like special help, and the teachers were always involved, and they're always coming up with systems to get me to like pay attention and um you know do stuff were you told because i and you know this is coming from someone who also has adhd works with a lot of people with adhd and a common th theme is that educators or people in authority say you have so much potential yeah constantly but if only and it's like you know for me it was like gene you really excel in english and social studies but you just you can't stay awake in math and science and man, you have so much potential if you only harnessed it. Mine mine would... I don't know. Some of my teachers didn't like me, and some saw a lot of potential in me. And would give me extra attention, and give me, like... And try to, like, push me. Mm -hmm. um, but I was also, like, a massive class clown. Right. Like, I... To, to, to an, like, the umph degree, mm -hmm. where if I could get attention for something, I would. Like, I I was an awful little shit. Yeah. I realized that, like, uh, trigger warning, I guess, for, for, for the R word, I would use rape a lot. Like, I, like, especially with other dudes. Like, if a dude was bullying me, I'd be like, I'm gonna rape you. <laughs> because I knew it would be... I knew they would react very strongly yeah. to it. And then I offhandedly said it to a woman... And they were like, that is not okay. And yeah. I got in a lot of trouble. Justifiably. Yeah. But like, yeah. I just didn't understand the ramifications of what I was doing. I just knew that people got, like, Upset. if you say that word, especially at other men, they get really they pissed get off. Very, very and upset. that's what I just wanted. I was like, good. I get a reaction out of people. Yeah. So anything that like that, um, I made fun of one of my teachers for having gay parents. <laughs> oh my God. Okay. You know, that's. 
all right. <laughs> I'm not saying that that was acceptable. I'm just saying I was like, this was, I don't know, 13 or something. Yeah. Just like a shitty little ass. Yeah. I, I did. And that teacher was so lovely to me. They still, even after that, were like, no, I know that you're just a little shit. Like, yeah. And like, we've spoken since then um, and all the, the shittiness I've done. And we're, we, we like, in my 20s, uh, formed a, a nice email there correspondence. Go. There you go. There you go. I, I. <laughs> Sorry about all that. I, I was similar. I was very attention-seeking class clown. I remember one of our, in high school, one of our music teachers got fired for sleeping with a student. And I made jokes about it every day. <laughs> and I got uh, in a lot of trouble for doing that. And and yeah, and anytime, like, I would make a lot of, um, like, peanut butter sexual jokes. Because I found out in seventh grade that some men have dogs with peanut butter off their testicles did you know that i i did yeah and so i would we are still live on tiktok <laughs> oh oh okay my bad <laughs> well do do the people on tiktok are they aware of that no i mean because sometimes we don't want to get it oh okay okay it's fine we just can't stay there like we did with king kong yeah 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 i mean we can but you know um, oh no, we got we got we got pretty good numbers yeah um so i bring up the thing about people telling you you have a lot of potential because one thing I've noticed is that uh, people with ADHD have, it, you know, they call it a quote unquote disorder, but I just think it's a different style of learning and processing information and that the education systems that our society has set up absolutely do not reward that in any way. And it's, so when they say you have a lot of potential, there's like this inherent judgment in that, you know, you have a lot of potential, but you refuse to get your act together, and it's really sad. That's what they're saying. Yeah, I got that a lot. I got this, like, um, my one of my biggest frustrations that I, I voiced the other day is that all I was told is that I have ADHD, and that I need to take my meds, and that I have attention. I, I'm not, like... But no one, no one was like, okay, so you have this disorder and here's how it works. And, and we're going to work with you so that you have, like, methods of dealing with mm -hmm. this. It was just like, hey, kid, you're, you have ADHD. You suck. Yeah. Take your fucking meds. Did you take your meds today? Yeah. Con if every time, anytime I was, like, bubbly or mm -hmm. excited, someone would be like, or they'd be like, did you have sugar today? You, you seem more hyperactive than normal. We know you have ADHD. Yeah. And it was really disheartening and, like, frustrating as a kid to just, like, any time I showed personality or was too loud or any of the things that are just hallmarks of the, of the disorder, they would be like, this is a personal failing on your behalf. Exactly. Why are you like this? Um, and especially, like, I also had, like, full-on autistic meltdowns mm -hmm. at school i i now understand that that's what or i think tantrum is perhaps the better word uh i had our oh no why is rochester new york calling? oh get out of here um i had uh, essentially autistic uh, tantrums because i would get over uh, almost always in like the lunchroom or in a big class a teacher would levy a lot of criticism on me or would say something really a lot of teachers would just be very blunt with me and then I would shut down and sometimes I would like hide under a desk and start screaming. Mm -hmm. And like people were like, God, you do this for attention. And it's like, really? I, uh, 
I, I, I socially destroy myself <laughs> yeah. in front of all of my peers to the point that even now in my 30s, people are like, I remember you. You were that kid that during lunch would hide under the tables that, and yeah. scream. And I'm like, I sure was. Yeah. What a funny bit. Yeah, yeah. So what, you know, what do you think triggered those episodes? I, I was uh, a lot. I'd be doing a joke or something and then a teacher would just scream at me mm-hmm. and it would just i would disassociate or they would um i also like would try to get away from aggressive i did this when i was a kid i would like run away from doctors and my mom when they would get like authoritative with me so the teachers would be screaming at me i just try to get out of the situation and that usually involved me either going under a table or climbing a tree right you've you've talked about climbing the tree in the past yes some of that was a bit, although now I wonder if it was always a bit or just an instinct to get away from the source of my, I'm like, I don't like this, it's too much and I can't process it and I'm young and I don't know what to do. I'm going to literally remove myself from this situation where you can't get to me and it's up this tree. Well, we were talking at dinner earlier about how when children are on a playground, they're playing out a lot of the human behaviors and tendencies um, that come to them naturally that they don't feel comfortable exhibiting in real life. So they use play as like a sort of psychological playground. So I think you're you're dead right about running into a tree. Even though it was a bit, there was an element to it of, I think the world was set up in a way that your brain had difficulty functioning in. And so you didn't know what to make of it. So you ran into a tree, which only further exacerbated the situation. Is it, is it, is it, my thought is like, that seems like an instinct, like a deep animalistic instinct. Well, climb a tree. Fight or flight. Fight or flight. Fight, flight, I'm going to flee and literally go like, yeah, because we are like, you know, at the end of the day, we're apes. Evolutionary instinct. And like my brain is short circuiting. I'm dissociating from my, my, my ape brain all the way down to my lizard brain. I'm just, I need to go and I scoot up a tree well and then usually i'd get up there and slowly come back to like i've made a mistake yes exactly. socially and i would have to like i because I, what i think is i once i was away from the situation i was able to like calm down enough to remove myself from the dissociative event and i would have the realization like oh I'm in a tree. I'm in a tree. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. And now I have to climb down. Yeah. Because they're getting the police. Yes. Well, so evolutionary, when we're put <sighs> in a situation where we feel our very survival is under attack, we have three options. Fight, flight, or freeze. Five now. What are the other two? Fawn or friend and uh, there's fight, flight, freeze, fawn, and I think fuck. Fuck. <laughs> Oh, I'm sorry. Was I not supposed to laugh? No, I think that's one of them. I don't know if they use... I think sleeping with your threat is considered uh, a, I, I can, a defense I mechanism. I can see that. I can let, me, see let me look up the five. Yeah. I want to be specific. Five. What would it be? Trauma response. I've already, you, you can see it. Yeah, 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 yeah. Uh, the freeze, flop, friend, fight, or flight. I guess What's flop, flop is the other one. Oh, uh, when you uh, literally go unconscious. Oh, that's some not, people that's faint. not under the umbrella of freeze. I think freezes is when you are like, you just, you, you physically freeze. And I think flop is when you literally 
Um, yeah. Oh, feeling sad, depressed, hopeless, or apathetic. Appearing disengaged, showing little emotion, missing class. It's, eh. it's kind of like disassociating. Like freeze, though. Yeah. I think fuck should be one of them. Yeah. I don't know, though. That's such, that's such a weird... I guess that's sort of encompassed in friend. Yeah. I mean, because some people, friendship is fucking. <laughs> wow. Um, so anyways. Uh, Remember, guys, this is a very professional podcast. Yeah, yeah absolutely. Uh, I don't know. Oh, we never brought up your... Oh, I never introduced me. You introduced you. You're a therapist. I'm a veteran. Yeah. We talk about mental health propaganda. We oh yeah, we have a new pit. We have a new thing. Um, we we discuss propaganda in popular media. Yes, but how do we work the mental health aspect into that? Well, we talk we talk about propaganda and mental health in popular films. So, like a therapist and a veteran discuss propaganda. And uh, mental excuse health. me, a Jewish therapist, a Jewy therapist, and a non-binary, and a non-binary, and a queer. Yeah. Hey, it's me. Hey, I'm a queer. Oh, remember that character from like three episodes ago? Oh, oh, hey, I'm queer. I'm queer over here. We got a queer and a Jew. (laughs) Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's the real. That's the like subtitle. War porn. A queer and a Jew. (laughs) A queer and a Jew discuss combat. (laughs) Yeah, yeah, yeah. Wait, wait, wait. Let's let's not get derailed. So, um, so I. You know, one thing I talk about with a lot of people who have ADHD is I think ADHD and anxiety or depression go hand in hand because from, and, and it's like you said. Well, as, they do. We know that clinically. Yeah, yeah. As early as you said, you had this diagnosis. And so from as early as you can remember, you've had to fight against this system. I would also like to point out that... Um, in our society, um, neurodivergent, which is ADHD, autism, mm-hmm. uh, and I think, uh, uh, what's the one? Dyslexic. Dyslexic. I believe dyslexic. Uh, I, I'm not sure. Uh, th- there's a much higher rate of childhood trauma yeah. because just being autistic or ADHD and trying to interface with our society is in it of itself a, trauma. a traumatic experience. So like, you're not only dealing with having ADHD, but now you're dealing with the childhood trauma yeah. of having ADHD and also like the school system being woefully underprepared to deal with you. Yeah. And, and I feel like schools never want to be like, Hey, we're under, we're not prepared for this. They're like, actually, um, it's kind of the child's fault. Yeah. <laughs> like, am I wrong there? Like, in every instance, the schools are always like, whoa, we're not going to take blame for this. You have a shit kid. Well, so the problem with, like, and I, I went to public school my whole life. As did I. Right. And and the problem is that public schools kind of at the end of the day are sort of like the DMV. Where, like, yeah, they'll try to help you out, but really it's like, we're just trying to shuffle people through here. Yeah, they're trying to teach you to be good little assembly line yeah, workers. exactly. So when... When, you know, little neurodivergent kids do come along, yeah, they'll have them see the specialist, but, uh, you know, at the end of the day, it's about, all right, stamp, get out of here, move on, next, stamp, that's kind of... Especially in a post, no child left behind, uh, all public schools are going to just teach so they can take this uh, this class, and if you don't, like, I specifically graduated high school 
because they didn't want to lose funding. Exactly. Because by the end of my senior year, I stopped giving a single fuck. I didn't show up to most of my classes. I would just leave early whenever I wanted. I was just the worst. Mm -hmm. And I was getting suspended, like, all the time because for, like, jokes... Like, one time I went outside and I humped a tree <laughs> in front of everybody. And I was like, yeah, here we go. And yeah. they suspended me for that. Nice. And I was like, oh, okay, well, if this is what you're going to do, I'm going to do this all the time. And I just, it was like me and this vice principal had, had like, a vendetta against each other. Can we take a minute to talk about how um, antithetical of a punishment being suspended is? It's like your punishment is you don't have to come to school. Well, I would get in-school suspension, <laughs> uh, and then I would usually push it to a point where I got an out-of-school suspension. Okay, yeah. That's the key. Because I was like, I'm not... I, a few times my mom was like, no. <laughs> One time, this, this woman had it out for me. Uh, I came... My mom was like, listen, I know you want to suspend him, but you're not doing it today. He has all these tests and classes, and he just needs to do them. And frankly, you just keep... Like this, you're just not doing your job effectively. And so I went, my mom was like, you're going to school that day. So I went into school and the woman just followed me around until I did something she didn't like. And then she uh, called my mother and was like, he's being suspended Uh. out of like, literally followed me around. Um, You know, like a normal adult, like a normal adult human, only like, you know, a thousand or more kids in that school. Took, took time out of the day to stalk me and be like, hi, got you. Yeah. And it didn't take long because I, again, was you, saying awful things yeah. all the time to get a rise out of people because I was dumb and immature. And my friends figured out quickly, not maybe friends is the wrong word. They could like teach me words and I would shout them. Oh. My friend was like, yeah, um, you're, what was it? Um, fellatio. Oh God. I, there was a whole week where I would just, I would just, anytime <laughs> I saw a teacher, I'd go, because he taught me it meant hello in italian oh so i was greeting everyone with fellatio how did you not know what that meant because i was like 12 or 13 and the internet wasn't robust then google wasn't you could ask jeeves and jeeves didn't know yeah i remember my friend you know how to spell fellatio my friend uh taught me dildo but didn't teach me what it meant so i would just yell it everywhere i want it's very interesting um do you think part of the problem too, and because we're talking about how the relationship between ADHD and trauma, so obviously, I know, okay, I'll speak louder. ADHD and trauma, you obviously have conflict with your peers, but also a lot of these teachers are authoritative um, and they personalize it. Like you said, this woman followed you around and I, I had like feuds with teachers. Mm-hmm. And that's, I mean, you know, outside of parents are the first adults we interact with in this world are teachers, right? So we learn a lot about what it means to be a human being from them. And it, like you said, you would have teachers scream at you and then you would kick off your survival trauma response instinct. I, yeah. And I also like just, even to this day, I don't know, like... When a person is talking to me, I often misinterpret all of the signals that they're giving me subconsciously, unless they're ones that I recognize, which are like the narcissistic ones. Mm-hmm. But I, I don't, I haven't, I've had to learn like f- facial expressions and stuff because it just doesn't come naturally to me. And so like when people, I don't, 
know what a person is feeling unless they're laughing. Because I know that people who are laughing aren't like a threat. Yeah. And they are not probably not mad at me because it's very hard to be mad at someone who just made you laugh. Mm -hmm. So it became like the only way I know and still to this day how to interface with people is like get them to laugh. Mm -hmm. Because once they do, we're fine. Then you're safe. We're safe. We are all friends. Because otherwise I just don't know how to be like, hello, are you going to murder me? Like, <laughs> like there's that part of me that's yeah. like, are we fighting? Are we fighting? And then it's like, they'll laugh. And I'm like, we're not fighting. Mm-hmm. Okay. Mm-hmm. Cool. <laughs> that's, that's very interesting. And I think that also touches upon some of your autism. I believe that, that that was one of the biggest things for me is I just don't get, like my whole life, I'm like, I do not understand social engagement. I don't know how to just talk to people. People are like, you just be yourself. I'm like, myself doesn't, there's not that. That's There's no hidden me. There's the mask that I wear and then a vague form. Right. Do you, do you think though that part of this like dynamic was built upon this sort of antagonistic relationship you had with all your teachers? Because it sounds like when you're in public and you're not making people laugh, which, like, you take on this very defensive, guarded, like, oh, no, these people are out to get me. Yes. If they know who I truly am, so I need to, like, keep my head down and just buy, you know, these Well, gushers. it's not if, if they know who I am. It's just, I don't, I can't tell who's a threat. Mm-hmm. And I'm, you know, because some, sometimes I just didn't, I never know what's going I'm better now. I've spent quite a bit of time, like, learning but I would just be lost and I'd just be in a room like, I don't know how anyone here feels at all. Right. And everyone else seems to know. And I don't. And then suddenly a teacher would turn and just start screaming at me. Mm. And I'd be like, I don't, I don't know how I got here. I don't know what I did. I didn't pick up that I've been pissing them off for 45 minutes because I just don't understand fucking facial cues or quiet body language or just like, I'd just be like, oh, okay. Like, when I was a kid, my mom, I would be saying something, and my mom, my mom would kick me under a table, and I'd go, Ow, why did you kick me? Like, at no point did I understand that, like, oh, I've been kicked under the table because I'm because of what I said. And, and I'm just, I said a thing, and then my mother kicked me, and I do not know why. So what you were really lacking was an adult to come in and say, Listen, Patrick, that's not appropriate to say right now because that might hurt some people's feelings, or that seems a little disrespectful. No one ever took the time to say it like that. They would just say, you need to shut up. You're being rude. Or mm. something to the just immediate, like a snap. And like, you're, you are bad. You're the problem. You're the problem. And right. I'd be like, oh, okay. Yeah. So like from my angle, I don't know what I've done. I don't know why everyone's mad. But now they're mad at me. And then, and then the day goes by. And I also still now don't really realize that emotions are fickle and they will go away mm-hmm. so for me whatever you last felt about me until i see a new one i just assume you still feel that way right so if we had a fight and then i see you a year later i'm like okay the last time i saw you <laughs> and i like square up because i'm like i i don't realize that people change and then sometimes they're like oh my god it's great to see you and i'm like blindsided because i'm like oh i thought you fucking hated mm-hmm. me well, so this is this might be a good segue to talk about one aspect of ADHD, which you've taught me a lot about, which is rejection-sensitive dysphoria. Yes, which 
I'm gonna. I don't know when that was coined, but I certainly don't think it was in the fucking nineties. The nineties, absolutely not. Sensitive. Uh, I want. I want to know when it started becoming. Like. I don't know. What, I don't even know how to Google. Whatever. I just know that when I was a kid, I never heard it until TikTok in 2020. Damn. Is the first time I'd ever heard the term rejection-sensitive dysphoria. So, how would you describe it? Because I, 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 you were the one who first told me about it last year, specifically. How would you describe it for you? I, when any time I perceive that I've been rejected in any way, it is... There's no, there's no difference to me between, emotionally, between someone giving me a polite no and someone slamming a door in my face and telling me I'm a piece of shit. Like, there just isn't a difference. At any time someone even slightly rebukes an idea or me, my, my feelings are, like, super violently hyper. Like, oh, God, I'm the worst person. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So... It's just like an extreme reaction to and do you rejection. think it ties into what we were just talking about where you would be in a classroom, you would be doing your thing un- completely unaware and then a teacher turns around and starts screaming at you and it's almost like out of nowhere. Yes, but I also think that uh I would have had it anyway because it's like I I think it's just a part of the ADHD of just not having um a good emotional regulation is that part of adhd a big part of adhd um just like nuts and bolts is that your brain lacks the ability to produce an efficient amount of dopamine okay so uh, like layman's terms so like your an adhd brain is constantly seeking um arousal Mm -hmm. whereas a normal brain can be fine in in an unarousing situation, a, a hyperactive brain needs new sources. They need novelty, and they need um, uh, they need to just have stuff, new stuff, Fic- interesting stuff, fixations, and oh, a new movie, and oh, a new person, and I just I constantly need dopamine, and I constantly need the attention that I get. Which is which is why when someone with ADHD is they're in a conversation they their attention almost immediately has to switch and it's it's not controllable because their brain oh, okay what is this new thing i can think about that can give me that rush of dopamine yes okay what is this new and thing not only that but being bored is painful to mm-hmm. someone with that sort of brain a normal person is just kind of bored and they're like that sucks but for an adhd brain it's like if i don't get dopamine i'm going to kill myself yeah. like you give give it to me and I think I think a good thing this helps me think about this is ADHD is probably an evolutionary advantage for humans because a lot of the hallmarks of ADHD would make us very very good hunters. Yes, you are constantly scanning the environment for new sources of information and dopamine. So you'd be really good at finding, you know, prey. Mhm. You uh, I don't know how the rejection-sensitive dysphoria comes into it, but 
but it people with well, a- oh okay rejection sensitive dysphoria means that you're hyper vigilant of any type of rejection or negative uh, encounter. So that means you would be able to scan a landscape and look for any element of danger and mm-hmm. be hypersensitive to it. So there, there is an evolution. Okay, so and then people with ADHD tend to uh, have delayed onset sleep. So like you just straight up don't get tired mm-hmm. for about four hours after the average person. Okay. Which is why throughout my entire life, I do not get tired until two in the morning. Nice. And I think most ADHD people can agree. Mm-hmm. And that would be because if everybody else in the tribe goes to bed, it's really useful if a quarter of them stay up stay all up. night and sleep in the in the early morning hours. That's... A huge boon yeah. for your civil for your newly formed civilization. So, in a lot of ways, we would uh, shut up Discord. Quit. Sorry, everyone. Oof. I know we're having a rough day. Um, so, in a lot of ways, ADHD can, can be an advantage. It's just not useful or as useful in the extremely rigid boring structured environment of elementary and middle and high school it's it's like the it's literally hell on earth for your brain which mm-hmm. is like i need constant stimulation if i don't get it i will freak the fuck out and i'll make you depressed and and like and then you're like all right sit in this chair quietly yeah, and it's like yeah i want to die Ah! And then I would literally just like, ah! Give it! Give me attention! So I, I know I've mentioned Gestalt therapy in the past. Um, Gestalt, he had this concept that man uh, is most spontaneous in nature with constant amounts of stimulation. And that sitting in these offices and schools that are air-conditioned to be these sort of stagnant environments is a huge source for him of anxiety and depression. So you're not off at all. And honestly, you know, you're right. I mean, to think now that when I was eight years old, I would get up at six, which is insane in of itself, and then go to a building and sit in a chair for eight hours and study things like math and science like there's no fucking way i could do that now absolutely not and we make kids do this and then and for me it was you're not good at this so we're gonna give you drugs so that you will be and then i got worse and they were like well we'll just have to give him more drugs give him these and so yeah let's get to that part the part about medications so what did you find when you first took Something like Ritalin or Concerta or whatever. I I don't remember so much of it. I remember not having a choice in the matter. Mm-hmm. It was just every morning you have to take your medicine. Right. And then I would talk to these therapists and stuff, but they I'm not... I'm still not good at telling people how a drug makes me feel. Right. Because... The difference between how I felt yesterday and how I felt today is so nebulous. And, like, I don't have a good metric for that. I'm like, I don't know. It all sucks. I'm autistic. (laughs) Everything's too loud and too bright. And my mom. And, and like, and they're like, did the drugs, is it easier to concentrate? I don't fucking know. I, 
I remember uh, being prescribed those meds and taking them as a kid, and they just made me feel like a zombie. Because I, too, was like the class clown, and I would make fun, and everyone would laugh. And, I, and then the days I would take Ritalin, I'd just be... Hum. I remember they would help me focus, but not ever on what I was supposed to be focusing exactly. on. So I would take the meds in school and be like, oh my god, okay. And I would just start writing fantasy novels. Like, yeah. And then the fucking, yep. and then the elves. And, then, yeah. and just like this fucking obsessive need to just do anything. But mm-hmm. I still found fucking World War One boring. Yeah. I was like, I am eight. <laughs> yeah. I don't have the frame of reference to give a shit about World War One. Yeah. I just don't understand. I don't understand this classroom. Mm-hmm. And, or, or the tension in a car ride. I can't fathom war. Ironic. But, yeah, yeah, yeah. And then like, or I was really good at math, but I wasn't good at showing my work or telling people how I did it. Uh, I which is just, the most important part. And I would just have the answer. I'd be like, the answer is this. And they'd be like, how did you get there? And I'd be like, well, the picture's in my head. <laughs> uh, I smashed a bunch of shapes together yeah. and that's how math works. And there's a staircase involved. And they're like, what? <laughs> I'm like, yeah, you know, you, the numbers go up the staircase, and then, the, and then the, the, and they're like, that is not how math works. And I was like, okay, cool. And then they were like, you're bad at math. And I was like, uh, okay. It, it's just <laughs> fucked I just up. Stop doing it because learning, just like anything else, is so personal to different people. I can't tell you how many things I've stopped doing. If you tell me I'm doing something wrong, I'll just stop doing it. I'm not going to do it your way. I'm just not going to do it at all. I stopped playing the violin. I stopped um, drawing at one point. People were like, yeah, no, you didn't. You got, this is how you learn how to play the violin. And I was like, oh, like, as I just started, I found a song I liked and I was just working on it. And I got, I thought I did pretty well. And I went in and this woman was like, no, this is terrible. You have none of the fundamentals. You need to start from scratch and just play one note ad nauseum. And I was like, oh, um, I don't want to do this. And you and, and I just stopped. And I've never picked up a violin again. That's so funny because, like, you know, as a guitar player, so many... Like, Jimi Hendrix, one of the greatest guitarists of all time, he played his guitar upside down. <laughs> like, he played... He was left-handed. He just played a right-handed guitar upside down. And, like, revolutionized the instrument doing that. And no one else has really done that. And... You know, there would be guitar players out there who are like, um, you need to buy a left-handed guitar. But in something like music, like, that new way of approaching the instrument can fucking revolutionize it. Well, 13-year-old Pat... Was the Jimi Hendrix of violin. Uh, didn't do that. Yeah. He quit. That's sad. It, and it's, it's... It even happened with my guitar. Someone told me I was playing it wrong and I've taken the year off. Because if I just immediately upon receiving... That sort of rejection lose the spark that made me want to do it in the first place. So it comes down to like there, you know, this concept that there's That's probably why I'm getting pissy about the podcast. Why? <laughs> oh, because people are people telling, are telling us, us we're, we're doing, doing it, wrong. it wrong. Yeah. Well, <laughs> and if... I'm like, fine, I'll burn it all down. Yeah. No, there's no. It, it's just we had this conversation last week. People who tell us that there's a right or wrong way to do comedy. Oh, that one, that is the one that I, you know what I think it is, is because people laugh. Mm-hmm. And I, like, when I play the, like, I need 
feedback. So when I'm writing and someone's like, that's not, you didn't write this the correct way, I don't have proof that they're wrong. Mm. But when I get on stage and have a great set and then someone's like, hey man, people don't really want to hear those topics. I'm like, what the fuck are you talking yeah. about? I just had a great set. You mu-. So I think that shields me from losing the spark. Right. Although over the pandemic I started to because I just didn't have the constant reinforcement of like oh. people laughing at the jokes. You just had the TikTok algorithm. I just had the, yeah, shitty online comments that are mostly negative yeah. and cruel. Well, it's funny. So comedy, the bottom line is laughs, right? Mm-hmm. And, you know, in music, it's harder to pinpoint what the bottom line is. I guess people who like it. And if- I will point out, no matter how bad it is, when someone finishes playing a song, people will clap. Well, yeah. Even if they weren't paying attention. <laughs> it is a personal source of anger that I will do 15 minutes of comedy that I worked really hard on to silence and then I will walk off to silence and then someone plays a shitty song on a fucking guitar Wonderwall this <laughs> whole crowd just politely clapping I'm like fuck you so Dude, what is this so you want people to politely clap no I just am annoyed that they do it for musicians I don't know I've if you had an eight-year-old who had never touched a guitar before and you... That's different. I'm talking about a 32-year-old follows you on stage and they do a bad job and everyone's like, well, we got to politely clap. They yeah, did, you know what? I'll give you a, a point. I'll give you a point. Like at a bad open mic where it's just uncomfortable all night and then one guy plays a song and everyone politely claps yeah. and you're like, what the fuck is this? I hate musical comedy. Oh, <laughs> when you go to an open mic and you see a dude with a guitar, I'm just like, oh. They're like, here... Here's a funny song about about moms. I'm like, oh my god, someone kill me. Jesus. I like how musical comedy is you write one or two funny verses. Or uh, one or two funny, what are they called? Ver- oh, verses, and then you just play the same chorus three uh, times. Uh, and the chorus isn't even necessarily funny. It's just like, well, that's how a song works. It, it's just one joke. It takes you two minutes to get to the punchline, and then it's repeated for three more minutes. That's why Bo Burnham was so good, because there was escalation and yeah. changes and like... But ever, you know, that takes talent skill. Yeah. So what were we... Oh yeah, we were talking about meds. Um, so, you know, personally I remember taking all of those in high school and really hating it. And then I almost flunked out of college... Um, because I didn't really want to go to college in the first place. And my parents were like, you need to take Adderall. And then that just kicked off for me a very serious addiction to these meds. And all of these meds are stimulants. And that I remember. I remember anxiety. Mm-hmm. Because when I got back from Afghanistan and went back to work as a paramedic, I was really struggling. And I went to the doctor and was like, I need Adderall. And then she went, not until we handle this PTSD first. Yes. Which well, is that's, a, that's a, a good doctor right there. Which is a second. No, she wasn't. But <laughs> she was correct in that regard. Yeah. Um, so we, I remember taking them again as an adult. And some, basically they were, it was like, here's a pill that if I take, I'll hyper focus for eight hours. Exactly. So if I really want to sit down and draw this picture and just get really, really into it. I'll pop an Adderall and that's what I'll do. But it wouldn't help me like... Some people are like, I take it and I feel like a normal person. And I'm like, well, good for you, but that does not work for me. Which I don't know if it's the autism or uh, PTSD or or anxiety or what. But I'm like, those pills are not... 
magic ADHD go away pills. No. And, and for me, like, you know, I took way more than was prescribed. I stole from my mom and my sister were also prescribed. I stole very much from them. And if you take enough of it, it, you know, we were talking about dopamine deficiency. It releases all the dopamine in your brain at once, creating a, an effect like similar to ecstasy or MDMA. So I would take a whole bunch of it and then I'd be like, oh, I could do anything. I could like, oh, I could write a song. Oh, I, I can, remember that. Yeah. I remember that feeling of like, I, I am, I can make things. Yeah. But they were never good. No. And then, and like you said, you hyper-focus for eight hours. When I was an adult a little bit more, I would like draw a lot on it. Yeah. But it was like, I would, I would literally do that. All that. Only that. Mm-hmm. And I was like, this isn't, I'm just, I mean, I don't mind a good hyper-focus. Yeah. I almost kind of want it now for the days where I, I could use it. But it's like... Giving it to a kid oh. every single day. And I got depressed, like very depressed. And they were like, all right, well, we'll just give you meds for that. And it's like, you can't just, it's like whack-a-mole. Yeah. All right, we're giving you this so you can fit in. And that's going to give you this, which we're going to give this drug. And then that drug, we're going to counteract with this drug. And it's like, I am 11. Yeah. And I'm dry swallowing four pills before I get on the school bus in the morning. Like, I'm an old man with yeah. rheumatoid arthritis. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Literally, I didn't need water because I was just like, oh no, I take four of these a day. Ugh. Yeah, it it's a pretty... It's a pretty scary uh, dynamic. And, you know, the idea that I, I've been... I was forced to take these at 11 and how chemically similar they are to methamphetamines is it's pretty scary shit and i'm not i'm not discounting the fact that these meds do help people but i know for me so what that did was i got very addicted to adderall i had a very i lost 50 pounds i had to go to rehab and all this stuff and ultimately what that did for me in terms of the relationship with my adhd diagnosis was I had a huge resentment towards it. Keep talking. Yeah, stretch because my back hurts. Okay. From the from the kidney. From the war? Oh, from the kidney. The kidneys. Maybe. Don't. I can never tell. So I, you know, I felt like, oh, that's bullshit that I was given this drug that ruined my life because I was given this diagnosis. And does this diagnosis even really exist? Right? I remember when we first started talking, you were like, I had childhood ADHD, but I outgrew it. And I was like, honey, I hate to break this yeah. to you. Well, it's true because I friend said that the other day. He's like, I had childhood autism, and I'm like, you have autism. Mm-hmm. You don't. You just get better at masking. You don't. Yeah. Your brain doesn't. I mean, perhaps I could be wrong, but I'm almost fairly positive that a neurodivergent brain never becomes neurotypical just as you get older. Well, I maybe you misdiagnose. Yeah, but, but if you are ADHD. That's from birth till death. Yeah. It's like being, I almost said black. Oh my God, Patrick. Jesus Christ. Well, if you overreact like that. All right. You know what? You're fine. That was a great, that was a very valid. (laughs) I'm sorry. I'm sorry. I'm I'm not trying. I'm I'm very consciously trying to not be the obnoxious contrarian. (laughs) So I'm supportive. This is therapeutic, Gene. You're smoking your marijuana. I'm very much in support of that. It's your medicine. It's important. It comes from the earth. You know, <laughs> I, you know, I, I think I hate what you're doing. <laughs> I'm sorry. <laughs> don't make someone in the chat says, don't make it weird. Gene. 
Oh, this is... <laughs> he made me laugh. While you're smoking. That's what you get. <laughs> <laughs> what is everyone's thoughts on Pat's bandana? Pat has left the room. Welcome to the Gene Meyer Hour. Hi, I'm Gene Meyer. I'm here to... Uh, I'm just going to clinically analyze people in the chat. We're streaming this live on TikTok. Who wants to be analyzed first, huh? Tell me about your parents. Right. Hi, Gene. Hey, Chloe. Oh, you're back. We were having a moment, but... It wouldn't be a war porn episode if... If you didn't run to the bathroom. There weren't a word pause in the middle. Yeah. I hold it down, though. <coughs> you good? Yeah, just... It went down the right pipe, but I was laughing. <laughs> I made you laugh! I laugh at you all the time. Okay. Say it louder. I laugh at you more than you laugh at me. That's true. You laugh at you. We both laugh no, at you. No, no, no. I was thinking about it today, and the only things I truly find funny are like psychopath, like horrific industrial accidents. Like that's... <laughs> <laughs> like I will see like a random video of a boat crash on YouTube, and I'll be like, that's the funniest thing I've seen in two years. <laughs> it's, it's so true I'm trying to think of like what do I laugh the hardest at if I can get someone <coughs> I'm so sorry I keep coughing I'm sure this is very unpleasant mm -hmm. I'm not going to edit out any of it uh, <coughs> huh? if I can get another person like rolling mm -hmm. I will like I'll get caught yeah, up in it yeah, yeah, yeah. I really love Especially if I say like an inappropriate thing mm -hmm. and, and somebody else starts to lose it. That's, and they're like trying really hard yeah, not to because they're yeah. like, I shouldn't reward this. Yeah, yeah. And then that's like the funniest thing in the world to me. Like at a funeral? Oh, those are good. Oh, yeah. I know I can get someone. I've, um, <laughs> yeah, those are, yeah. When I was at my, I was giving the eulogy at my partner's funeral. Ambulance, not gay. and <laughs> Or both. Or both. Um. I, I I made people laugh. I I wasn't a comedian at the time, so I didn't like know what I was doing. But I definitely put some bits. Oh yeah, in there. Some... <laughs> and I had people like like cracking up about him because I was like telling stories about us, and and like people are laughing and they're like, God, I shouldn't I shouldn't be laughing. And I'm like mocking my dead friend. Oh my! God. Not in like a mean way. Yeah. In like a in like a pleasant like I'm, yeah. I was crying. So it was very clear that I like yeah. was sad, but I was just like, well, you know, we had an antagonistic, lovely relationship. Yeah. I'm not going to stop now. Yeah. I don't know that some, sometimes you go to a funeral and like part of the ceremony is like you tell some funny stories. I think it's awful if everyone's just in a mood the whole time. Yeah. It's like, especially if they were like a fun loving, cause like, remember um, shitty people don't have a lot of friends at their funeral. Right. If you're going to a big funeral, they probably were well-liked. Yeah, yeah. And God takes them early, you know? Like, mm -hmm. if they're... It's yeah. always the kind ones. Yeah, yeah. My grandpa got to live a long time. <laughs> did he... He died during COVID, right? He sure did. Not of COVID. He regular he died. He regular died. Did he... Was there a funeral? Uh, no. We couldn't do one. Oh, that's... That's... I wouldn't sad. have gone. Why? I don't like funerals. I usually don't go unless it's like... I was actually super glad COVID made it so I couldn't. Because I said goodbye to him when he was alive. Mm -hmm. I, don't, I don't need to talk to a corpse. Okay. You know... I, I have a weird... I don't know. For me, I'm like, his soul's elsewhere. 
Yeah. We can. I can talk to him well, now. They say I don't need to be the in funeral proximity to is, his body. It's for the bereaved, not the deceased. Exactly. And I'm like, I don't. I mean, some people do. I don't think it's disrespectful to not want to grieve in that way. That's. You know, I I tell all my clients that so grief is a very acute form of suffering. It also, I I think it probably comes down to my autism. I I cry, but I don't usually do it socially. Because if other people are around, either I'm masking mm-hmm. or I'm not, I'm not like, there will be no, either I'm disassociating or I'm masking. Those are the options. So if I'm happy and having a good time, that's probably a genuine feeling, but it's also an act. I'm masking. Right. So I feel, re- I don't feel weird about masking and being fun and happy and stuff. It feels really fucking bad and like a lie. To pretend to be sad. Even if I am sad. Because I'm still aware this is an act. Yeah. Well, so crying at a funeral can be performative. For me, it would only... I like. Well, I disassociated a lot when my partner died. Like, And I went and a lot of it was just me. I was literally in my paramedic uniform. Which helped immensely. Mm-hmm. Because then I could go, you are in uniform. You're a paramedic. Your, your paramedic partner has died. That is, you just very politely thank everyone. Because I, I was like part of the bereavement line uh, of like everybody came over and shook my hand with and hugged the family me. With, and with, just right with the family. Because he was like, I was with him 40 hours a week. Yeah. Like I knew him better than anyone. Well, maybe not his girlfriend or his family. Um, but you were close. You we were, were yeah, but we were like, we were very, very close. And we were like best friends out of work. So we like spent our work shifts together and then we'd go hiking on our days mm-hmm. off. Because God... Is cruel. Yeah. <laughs> It'd be better if we hated each other. Um, anyway. Uh, I recall like being able to be... Like inside I was all over the place. Like I was hurt and angry and crying and like going through the whole bereavement cycle. But it's when I was at home, it was just nothing. Like I would just sit motionless and there was this turmoil of memories and images and feelings in my mind and I would just quietly experience them. Mm-hmm. And occasionally I would just weep, but it would look like like a robot weeping. Yeah. Because there's just there's no performativeness to my alone personage. It's all inside. Mm. And so to be there, I was able to be very like professional. Yeah. Like thank you very much. And like it meant a lot to me, but I was still like keeping it together inside this professional shell. And that felt okay, because a mask with a uniform is appropriate. Yes. A mask, and then me, felt inappropriate. Well, the, so the uniform, you know, so you're, a grieving is a very personal process, and you were put in a position where you had to do this performatively in a social setting, which to you is just like the complete opposite of what you wanted to do. So that the uniform served as an anchor. Because yes. it gave you, like, much in the same way that, you know, you can go to a comedy show that you're performing at and you'll be around people and you're like, okay, like, I know being in public isn't my thing, but I have a very specific reason to be here. I'm going to tell jokes on stage for five minutes at this point. Gives you an anchor to be there. Yeah. And it gives me a role. Yes. I'm a comedian. Mm-hmm. I show up, I banter with the bartender. I, I joke with other comics. I get on stage, I tell my jokes, I get off. 
we tell each other, hey, good set, man. Yeah. And then I thank the audience as they walk out the door. And I, it's, it's like in some variations of that, but I have a script and mm-hmm. I'm like a character, an actor playing a role and it makes it more comforting to me. Yes. But when it's just, hey, you got to be Pat. And I'm like, oh no, that, uh, that, yeah. who, who yeah. is that? Yeah, the yeah, quiet yeah. guy that sits in his room in silence and occasionally <laughs> belly laughs to himself for no reason. Mm-hmm. The laugh is real. That's why yeah. I think I laugh like a rich person. Uh, I, I always said like, um, Dr. Evil. Well, because I laugh without any restraint. Like, I think most people have a a little bit of a constrained, socially appropriate laugh. Mm. And mine is an expression of my pure joy and mirth. Yes. And there's no amount of... And it's just as loud... It's 100% volume of just like, yeah! Yeah, yeah. No, but... And it's this unconstrained, like... Like a rich person, like... (laughs) Yeah, yeah, You've tickled me, boy! Yeah, 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 yeah. No, but I, 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 I know at certain. And there's a little bit of evil in there because it's it's well, like I think there's also an element of having done open mics <laughs> with you that the laugh you are appreciating the joke on stage, but you're also kind of like exercising away some of your anxiety or nervousness. Sure, because being at an open mic and seeing people tell jokes and then there being silence is an incredibly confusing, intense, weird thing. Oh, I never really thought about the secondhand trauma of <laughs> yeah. uh, open mic comedy. Yeah. And so your laugh sort of was like, you wanted to honor the jokes being said on stage, but the laugh too was like, hey, what the fuck's going on? This is weird. We should be laughing. We should be enjoying ourselves. Come on. Yeah, there was probably a lot of that undercurrent. Yeah. Interesting to think about, right? It is. I'm now. is. I'm now very just musing on the the how much secondhand embarrassment we absorbed over the last several years of just like i have watched some people really break down on a stage stage where they got like like i've watched people come apart at the seams Mm -hmm. where they've been doing comedy all day and they haven't stopped in months and today, for whatever reason, this room was the last straw. They and them. they it, we watched them break as a human being. And then some of them collapse and some of them lash out. And they're like, yeah. why? Why are, why are you all doing this to me? And I've had people personally attack me. And I'm like, what the fuck? Yeah, they're yeah. like, you, you laughed at... Some, sometimes they're like, you laughed at everybody else, but you don't laugh at me. And I'm like, oh, I didn't think you were funny. Oh, yeah. Or something like that. And it's like... I'm like, ugh. Yeah. Or one one time someone got mad at me for laughing, which was really weird. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. And they're like, you're mocking me. And I'm like, I don't know how, what am I, I'm in a comedy club and yeah. I laughed. Yeah. I don't, how have I done wrong? It's true. It's <laughs> true. Sometimes laughs do feel disrespectful though. Sometimes they are, which mm-hmm. is really hard to parse. Yeah. Confusing. And I know that mine can sometimes seem disrespectful and occasionally it is. Mm-hmm. Because sometimes when somebody is, it's the timing. If I laugh right after a joke, I liked that joke. Mm-hmm. If it's a short and laugh and I cut it off, it's because uh, I'm laughing at how brazen it is. Mm-hmm. And if there's a delay and then I start losing it, it's because I'm laughing at everybody's reaction at to how whatever fucking shit they just yeah, said. Yeah, like they yeah. say a thing, long pause, and then, ah! <laughs> and I'm just like, that went terrible. Yeah, 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 exactly. <laughs> And you know what's like? I know I don't, like we're getting into comedy territory or whatever. 
Um, sometimes a comic will go on stage, tell a joke. It's, it's terrible. It's met by utter silence. And then everyone laughs at the silence. Mm-hmm. But the comic is like, Thinks oh, it's them. Yeah. And then they tell another terrible joke, more silence. And then people laugh at the silence. And then this comic who has terrible jokes is like, I'm, I'm crushing up here. Ah, oh. yes. So many. Yeah. And you know what? There is, there's some comics where that happened one time. Mm-hmm. And they have been holding on to that yeah. as the, they're like, I, that's what I'm terrified of all the time. Of, I'm like, you got to let go of that. It might not be real. Yeah. Don't commit yourself to comedy if you're the worst at it. But usually what happens to a comic like that is that'll happen maybe once or twice at open mics, but then they do a real show and it's met with like, uh, like not playful silence. Just like the crowd is like, we don't like this person. And then it's a huge nosedive. Sometimes. Or they do it for 10 more years. That's true. That's true, <laughs> too. Um, let's get back to... You don't want to just wax poetic about comedy like every I, other podcast? Yeah, I, I, I could, but, you know, there's a little there's a little insight into comedy. World. A little inside baseball? So was there anything else? So, you know... Where were we before we got to we, comedy? We talked we about some of the downsides ADHD, of ADHD medication. Medication. But how did we get to comedy? I feel like that we should go back to that. We were talking about the funeral. The funeral. Oh, performative sadness. Yeah. So that's very difficult for me. Yeah. Or it feels, I think even in acting, I don't know why, but I have decided internally that I'm more comfortable. And it might be a vulnerability thing. I don't mind being ridiculous in public for smiles and laughter because that feels, I don't know. I almost feel like people understand at some level that i'm performing when they start laughing right right because it's like oh i laughed so you know one would assume you told a joke Mm -hmm. or -hmm. something Uh, although maybe i'm wrong maybe people think i'm just like the funniest guy Mm -hmm. nope now that i think about it yeah they probably do i don't think they realize it's a like a a very well where well crafted comedy mask um well, no, they're they're honoring the cleverness of whatever joke you just told, and trusting you enough that because a lot of your jokes are about really serious shit. Well, I mean, like some, a lot of I get a lot of comments of people like, "I bet you'd be really fun to hang out with." I think we'd be friends, and in my head, I'm like, "Poor, you can talk to Gene, <laughs> talk to talk to Gene about how funny I am on the off hours." No, it, it... <laughs> your voice he says it all. I, it's, it's... I can be challenging. Yeah. But I don't think, I, I will say this, it, and, you know, I think a huge part of therapy and friendship is properly mirroring someone. I don't think you're as challenging as you think. You're probably right. You know? You're, th- there's definitely challenging moments, and, you know, obviously, like most human, all human beings, we all go through cycles of ups and downs, but I've been with, like, if you were really that challenging, I don't think I could, I could have done it. Well, that's fair. Yeah. I will, I will say, I think we got close, though. A little bit over the winter. There I were, was gonna say there were some. There were times where I was like, I think what there was the a point fuck? where I was determined. <laughs> yeah. I was like, I'm gonna. I, you were like, I'm gonna be your friend, and I was like, All right, bet. <laughs> <laughs> we'll see about that, Gene. 
But just internally, like, I refuse to let you be kind to me. Yeah. I don't know, but but I also was like, I don't know. I think that's a part of friendship, though, is that sometimes people go through tough shit and they lash out. That's fair. Right? And that's like, I mean, you know, in, in relationships that happens. Would you agree, though, with me that I'd put a mask on when I'm around bigger groups or other people? Oh, Absolutely. And can you imagine that I'm still even masking a bit for you? Absolutely. But, and, and imagine how I am when I'm alone. Yes. Which is largely nothing. That's It's what's so hard to describe to people is I'm just like I'm slack faced and I'm, I'm kind of relaxed posture. Mm-hmm. And it's just like it's just all internal because it's it's like it's like I this is like. It feels so much to me. I've, I, the external world has always been um, hostile to me. That I've built quite a robust internal landscape that I mostly engage with. That's maladaptive daydreaming. Mm-hmm. Is a huge part of ADHD and autism. Is that you just build a more pleasant world within your mind ah. to occupy, like a fantasy world. Not even. It doesn't have to be that. Just you just. Are more introspective than than uh, extrospective. I I e- e- what is the opposite of introspective? E- Extros. Is it extrospective? It sounded legit. If it's not, I'm a coin. Then. Yeah, you just you just coined a phrase. That's funny because growing up, I always had a very detailed, like kind of fantasy world of like who I would be like in in like an ideal life and then you when when you were upset and things got too much would you then go and engage with that yes that is maladaptive daydreaming and it's funny as I've gotten older I've done that less yes because you learn to interface with the outside world more yeah and it becomes harder it's also I think because as you get older your brain gets less plastic and you just stop engaging introspectively mm-hmm. as much because that i i believe i might not be certain on this that being introspective t- is probably more energy intensive than than just reacting because like it's easier for your body to sit motionless watching passively a television mm-hmm. than to either move or like ruminate on yeah, a lot of exactly. thoughts because that requires the energy exchange and like it's easier to just passively accept stimulus I, it's funny. I did that pretty well into my twenties though. I still do it now. I still do it quite a bit. We're to the point where I'll be walking and I won't be able to see almost. I'll be like on autopilot. I I pick routes. Routes? Routes. I take a route. I walk to the the shore or I run and I put on music and I completely disassociate. Yeah. To the point that I've almost been hit by cars. Oh. Now I do it at like four in the morning where the cars aren't out. And what? I'm constantly worried. I'm like, oh, this is where you get fucking stabbed, Pat. What is your go-to fantasy narrative or world? Um, I, a lot of the time, ruminate about the past and, like, when I was happy, happier, and I try to figure out how to recreate that in the uh. future. So I don't really have like a fun fan. I used to have, I built, I wrote those novels up there. When I was in Afghanistan, I built like a whole fantasy science fiction universe that I was writing. And I constantly would go there. 
to think about, okay, how does this work? What is the minute uh, detail yeah. of the gnome society so I don't have to think about the IEDs in the road? Yeah. Because I know they're there and we're driving over them right now. And I, I'm so terrified of them. So what we're going to think about is how would my science fiction platoon mm-hmm. handle this situation? And I would play it out in my head and then write it in my novel. And um, because I was it just it was so hard to interface with the reality of like I am dry. I, I've watched them go off. Mm-hmm. I've seen what they do. I know exactly what it will do to me physically. Just ruminating on the yeah. ex- I'm like. Like, to the detail of just, like, I know exactly what this is going to look and feel like. It's going to be uncalculably awful. So let's think about, like, energy domes. Yeah. Can can my fantasy lightsaber cut through my energy dome? I don't know. Oh, this guy's got a gorilla mech suit. And then, or, like, I'd just be playing Pokemon. Because, like, looking down, just like, do not think about the IEDs in the road. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Oh, man, Squirtle evolved into War Turtle? Uh-oh, there's the word war. I mean, IED... Uh, uh, oh, God, yeah, Blastoise! Pew, 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 hydro cannon! No one can hurt me. <laughs> That's funny, because... So, I uh, I had a brain cancer back in 2012. We should clip that. Okay. and No, no, I mean for the... For what? Like, um... Like, hey, oh, you want to make that into a clip, like a good clip. Okay, what was the minute mark? It was one twenty nine. All right, down. write that down. So I had brain cancer in twenty twelve, and once a year I have to get an MRI. Have you ever gotten an MRI? Yes. And it's a really unpleasant kind of scary thing. There, there. That machine is foreboding, and it yes. makes some fucking noise. And they're like, "Hey, do you want music to play?" And it's like. What, like Wonderwall? Yeah. But every time I'm in there, I just think, I, I do this game, I'm like, how many hockey players can I think of on each team? And that's like, go, go, that's like for you, you have the elf world, I have the NHL world, and I'm like, okay, who's the goalie on Ottawa? Who's the backup goalie? And it's my way of sort of navigating this very, like, alienating unpleasant experience which so i also read like a lot of science fiction and fantasy and really escaped into that would you say you did that with sports yeah because i first i didn't grow up watching sports but when i got heavily addicted to adderall and had to drop out of college i latched on to football and that was sort of an escape from and i think for a lot of men that's an escape from the nine to five the this and that is watching the game Watching the game. What are they saying? I just someone wrote someone has been banned, but I don't. What if spiders flew like helicopters? What? What is? What it's would true. it be like? That'd be freaky. That would be awful. Um. So. Uh, that, so you. So and what, you got your uh, cancer diagnosis early twenties. Yeah. Would you say that when the cancer diagnosis started creeping up, did you maladaptive daydream more? Like, would you use it to escape, like, the constant reality yeah. of that? So my my go-to fantasy growing up was always uh, fantasizing about being a rock star. And just, like... Ooh, I, yeah, I've done that. Yeah, and, like, oh, man, Rolling Stone would interview me. Would, when you listen to the songs you really like, do you play out a fantasy in your head of you performing oh, to yeah. a huge crowd while the song is Absolutely. playing? Even though I'm in a band now, I still do Hell that yeah. shit. 
I do that when I'm running a lot. <laughs> oh yeah, it's a big one, and that's yeah. And and for a while, I was like, yeah, I would I would marry Lady Gaga. <laughs> she would have my kids, but oh, you'd you know. go like full. Oh yeah, I would get like very like in the way that you're like the elves would jump this high. I'd be yeah. Like, you want to get specific details? I'd be like, I'd write a book, you know, but I'd also have like a podcast. Do you ever <laughs> just incessantly play out yourself having uncomfortable conversations with late night hosts? at the desk yes or they're not even fun you're like sometimes i play them out like what if we don't get along oh yeah david letterman i was like i was thinking david yeah, letterman. Yeah, yeah yeah i was like he would interview me and i would not really like it but i'd be and like, they say something you don't really like and you're like oh okay how would i like yeah, oh, okay yeah, uh, i don't yeah, really yeah, like that yeah 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 yeah, yeah. hell time. yeah maladaptive daydreaming baby yeah and when i when because reality's too harsh yeah dude and w- when i was growing up i would really get into it yeah. just just to escape yes just to escape and then it wasn't till like my mid-20s where i was like i'm gonna focus on my actual life <laughs> instead of this like quarantine has been like a force like forced to do it again because yeah. like i have been like you slowly pulling out of that mm-hmm. as i get older and engage with the world more and and try to like realize some of these goals in a more physical uh capacity and then quarantine was just like nah son yeah now it's all internal yeah remember that yeah good luck you get to and then i was like fine and i got back into that mode and now i'm like trying to re-engage with society i'm like oh i hate this it's it (laughs) it's true and like you know the irony is is that we're both uh, moving forward in our career as entertainers, right? Yes. And so we're actually like kind of experiencing elements of our fantasy and they fucking suck. Oh my God, they're so <laughs> unpleasant. Like fans and 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 having to perform and like, it sucks. It's so much worse <laughs> than I thought. I, I Okay, you want to know something? When I was a kid, when I was young, I remember being fascinated by comedians. Like, mm-hmm. I've wanted to do it since I was very, very little. Singing first was my first, like, thing. Still kind of is. And then I saw comedians was like, oh, but that though. Yeah. And I was obsessed. And I, like, learned all the routines and stuff. Like, every young comic story. But then I got older and I, I realized... Every one of these people seems clinically depressed. Yes. yes. And it seems like they get on stage and and sell this idea of a fun life and then get off stage, go to a hotel room and try not to hang themselves. Yes. And I somehow caught wind of it early and was like, I don't think I want that life. I think it'll be really hard. I'm going to try something else which yeah. for me was the war the war the war <laughs> seemed more appetizing i was like well at least soldiers get like a wife and a family oh, God. and a white picket fence yeah. eventually and it, i don't know if comedians necessarily get that because i'd never seen jim gaffigan and <laughs> and so and then i came home and i tried really hard to do anything but and i like still wound up here mm-hmm. and i was right you were right i was i was the 17 year old Pat was right on the he was actually underselling it it's funny because I only saw the successful ones I did I did an open mic <laughs> last year on McDougal Street and I left to walk to go get a sandwich and I saw Dave Attell sitting on the stoop with his hood up and man he looked fucking miserable <laughs> and I was like this is one of the most successful comics on the planet I've met him we hung out 
How? Yeah, we did the veteran gig and we we hung outside afterwards and chatted and he he was really nice, but yeah. He I mean, he seems pretty well adjusted. Seems like a great guy. Uh we would love to have him on, but Yeah, Dave, if you ever Yeah. But he, he just standing there just looked like, "Oh, I'm tired of this shit." Yeah. I was like, I that mean, that's, that's the goal. That's, that's the energy Jean uh <laughs> seemed to exude whenever whenever she was on stage. Jean Garofalo. Oh, yeah, I, I yeah. Followed her like dozens of times. Yeah. Just this like I don't know. A lot of like it, all comics seem addicted to comedy. Yeah, and it seems to have uh, been been an, not good. No, you you, you very but like, even I am like I'm still gonna do it. Oh, I because yeah. I, I have you to. Have to. As you I have, have to. to. But it's not. It's not fun. <laughs> That's why every time someone's like, "What advice would you give like a, a comedian starting out?" I'm like, "Don't do it." Yeah. Don't do it. Yeah. Unless if you have, if you have I never asked anyone that because Mm -hmm. i was just like i just i have like some sort of something's wrong with me yeah and the way that i fill that hole oh god is is comedy and that's every successful comedian i've met is just like i just gotta do it and i'm like yeah that seems to be the do it or quit do it or quit the two options but how do i like motivate uh you just do it or quit it would be happier if you quit. I give very specific advice. I'm like, you should go to this open mic and talk to this person. They'll put you on a show. But as far as spiritually, you're fucked. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, you'll do the show. You'll fucking hate it. Like, you're going to hate this and you're going to quit. But go and talk to this person. They'll be good for you. <laughs> oh. All right. We No, I wanted to talk about... Um, yeah, we, so we we're bring up comedy. Because it's directly the thing currently traumatizing us. Yeah. It, and and it's what we do. Well, you have a real job. I have a real job. I'm a therapy boy. So let's. I thought you were I'm a therapist. I I want to talk because we we touched we, upon about go ahead. twenty minutes ago. So I had this like I had this resentment against the actual diagnosis because I had been prescribed this drug and became addicted to it and it had ruined my life. And I'll be honest, it wasn't until we started doing this podcast. And you started explaining it to me that I started to change my opinion. I I see now that I still have it. I have it. I have some similarities to you. I have some, not some similarities to you. Um, and I see it in a lot of my clients. And I, I now treat it with the utmost seriousness. And like, you know, I, I, I it's a factor in people's mental health. Is having this thing. And so one thing I've noticed too a lot is that people who aren't diagnosed with it will say things like, I, I just don't know why I can't, I just never did well in school and I just don't know why. Or I, I just can't hold down a job or I just can't do this or I just can't do that. And, and you know, then they'll, certain things will lead them towards getting this diagnosis and it's like an aha moment and everything clicks together yeah i've had uh, that i had that with the autism although then i fought for a diagnosis Mm -hmm. but because i've always had the adhd although i will say i had that a few times on tiktok when they would say like do you have adhd you probably have rejection sensitive dysphoria and i was just like oh fuck Mm mm-hmm and it was like, oh, I feel a lot better about my reaction to a lot of stuff. Yeah. Well, because it has been intense. Well, that's the other thing, too, is that one of the things we wanted to talk about was 
what the diagnosis was like getting that in the 90s as opposed to what we've learned more about now. So did you get any of it? Any of the like Jackson sensitive dysphoria? No. You're, you're going to stay up later than other people. No. Um, your, your task or you're not, you're going to be like, what's the word? Disorganized? Disorganized? Like, at, look at my room. Would you say it's dirty or just no. cluttered? It's, uh, honestly, it's, I, I would say it's clean. Really? Yeah. I think it's a tad cluttered, but I know we're all, I know which piles of books, because there's just piles of books everywhere. Mm. And I'm like, yeah, that's the sorting. The books go there. But it's like, it's just, I don't know. I, I, uh, honestly, I think, I mean, you should see my fucking room. All right, fair yeah. enough. There's literal trash in it. Oh, no, never. Well, yeah. I, you know what is, I think the difference between me and a lot of ADHD people is that I went through basic the training. The military, yeah. And the military was like, if you have a dirty room, you're going to die. Mm-hmm. So, I make my bed every day. I will say, of the military people I know, your room is probably the least clean. Cause this is like an eight, yeah. Like, could you imagine this in the? Because I have pictures of my room from the war, and I had a bookshelf and like mm-hmm. stacks of books. I my uh, the drummer of my band was in the air force, and his room is like you, you could drop a dime in there. It is like, do you mean poop or drop a physical dime of like? Do you mean bounce a quarter off his bed? Yes, that's what I meant. You could drop a dime in there. You could drop a dime in there. I don't know. I don't know. Look, I'm ADHD. Words don't mean the same thing to me as they do most people. I will bet. Let's segue. Yeah. I like this topic. Some people... So, when you got your... Some people, when they get their diagnosis, it's a moment of relief. Or they find out about a component of ADHD and it's a moment of relief. Some people... You and I discussed there's basically three ways we've seen people react with joy and enthusiasm because they have an answer to what has been ailing them. Some people violently reject the diagnosis Mm -hmm. and get angry at it. Like your mom. And some people use that diagnosis as an excuse for all further behavior. Right. I can't do that. I have ADHD. Mm -hmm. And not in like a... I think in some ways there are absolutely times where I just said to my friends, like, listen, I just don't have it in me today. Like, I don't have spoons or I, the ADHD, the depression, whatever. I just can't today. Right. But once in a while, some people will use that all the time. Well, usually when they first get diagnosed, I think I've noticed later in life. I think, you know, I'm not going to tell people how to have ADHD because that's... I will. Okay. (laughs) But I, I think, you know, I, I'll say this. I think you ha- have found a good balance because it, it's not that you will say, oh, I just can't do that. It's that you will do something, but say, hey, keep in mind, I have this. So this might be really difficult for me or this might, you know, I might struggle to do this. Yeah. I appreciate you seeing the difference, um, especially with like editing. It came to a point where I turned to you and just was like, this is not something I can keep doing. Right. I can tell you I can and I will slowly get worse, but I've recognized that this is just something my brain hates doing. I'm putting off further and further and further. I don't think it's a good idea to keep doing it anymore. And you were like, cool, sure, let's not. Yeah. As opposed to just like... Like, oh, sorry, I didn't do it. I have ADHD. Mm -hmm. And it's like, there's a difference between an explanation 
and an excuse. Right. In in uh, recovery, they say, drug and alcohol recovery, they say, you're not responsible for your addiction. You are responsible for your recovery, which I think is 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 fair. And keep in mind that like we're not trying to uh, like discriminate against people. We're not trying to erase anyone's experience, but it, you know, and I will also say I was like that a lot. There was a time where I figured out, I'm like, I'm pretty sure I'm autistic. It fits all these markers. It makes, it fills in a lot of gaps. I talked to a doctor and she was like, there's absolutely no way you're autistic because, uh, you see, you don't seem that way when you come here. And I'm like, well, that is a really shitty diagnostic criteria. So I went to a different therapist and they were like, yes, I see it in you, but you're 30 years old and you mask really well. So it's going to be really hard to prove it because there's no like blood tests for autism. They're like, you can take a test, but like you seem like you probably would pass it. What is the test for autism? I, I believe it's a series of like, like tests that you do like. Like you, I don't know. What are the questions like? I have no idea. I've never done it. That's, that's And it's also one of the things that really frustrates me that I've seen other autistic creators talk about is these tests are often designed by neurotypical people and administered by neurotypical people. So I don't even necessarily trust a test. Because uh, here's the thing. If you sit me in front of a test and I don't like the proctor and then they take the test and they go, you don't have it, I'm not going to believe them. And mm-hmm. in fact, I'm going to double down. Okay. And frankly... I, I just, like, I'm a paramedic, and I've researched it quite a bit, and I've met hundreds of autistic people, and they're like, yeah, you you are. I'm like, this is my experience. These are the things I did when I was a kid. This is the way I was diagnosed. Here's the timeline. I would have been diagnosed with Asperger's. It turns out that's right. It turns out that's, oh, that guy was the worst, so they don't call it that anymore. It's just... The spectrum? It's just part... Because Asperger's, this is sort of a point of contention, but the amongst the community but as the guy asperger's was like a nazi scientist and asperger's basically meant the good ones oh and it does in some way describe a group of symptoms but it's like a lot of the community is like or and then lately uh, in 2013 it was pulled back into the just full spectrum of autism but some people have very much clung to that as a that identity of being i'm i'm an aspie i'm i was ah okay because because i thought i i didn't know the whole nazi storyline but neither did i i I thought like because i was identifying as that and i was like oh okay uh, maybe i maybe i'm not gonna uh, i understand i also understand that like one of the symptoms of autism is that you 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 take a thing and then you you're you're attached to that and you don't like change. So I get why even revealing that information, some people are like, "I'm not changing my identity. Mm. I've been this for 20 years," and it's like, okay, I just. But that is the. I thought also was, there might be some contention about like how much of a Nazi he was, but I feel like if you're splitting hairs yeah. down to well, he wasn't all. He was just. It's like, ah, still, yeah, you don't, that's, you're kind of getting into, it's still eugenics. Yeah. Well, I just thought it was, they wanted to shift it to just one spectrum of autism. That I think also was part of it. And, and Asperger's would be on the more mild end. A different grouping of symptoms, I think is the best way to describe it. A di- so like a different group. There's a, there's a, there's an effort being made to stop differentiating autism as like, um, high functioning or low fun it's just like the grouping of symptoms because oh, okay. it sort of implies that you can have it worse and therefore it like 
dis- it's v- discriminatory towards okay do you, you get what I mean? Because it's basically yeah. saying the more you have it, the worse you are. And it's like, I no, see, I see. it's just you have a different cluster of symptoms. Okay. Okay. Like, so, okay. I mean, yeah. It's just sort of trying to, like, let make the language less ableist. Yeah, make it less judgmental. Really. Yeah, where it's it's not like, oh, this guy can't talk, so he's worse. Yeah. Which is worse sort of... Worse at what? Being a person? Like, that's, that's sort of where the language... I'm, we're getting into the weeds, I think. Yeah. Um, well, I'm, no, I'm, the, I'm trying very hard to be uh, un... Unjudgmental. Not that's the word. I'm trying to be un... Uh, uh, when you're bad. Good. Thank you. Un, unbad. Unbad. What's the word I'm, I'm hunting for? Un, un... Controversial, maybe? Or um, uh, uh, when you insult people. Uh, un... Un... Wow. Under the sea. <laughs> Under the sea. <laughs> Darling, it's better down where it's wetter. Oh, that is... Oof. <laughs> Who wrote that line? Holy shit. Woo! It's better when a crab sings it. Yeah. Um. <laughs> ooh, ooh, that... Oh, man. Now you're being... Offensive. Oh. Is the word I wanted. Okay. I'm trying not to be. I'm and trying we very found hard. the most offensive way to trying get not to be to offensive, that word. and I think it's. Uh, I think it's disabling me from being able to make a point. We sexualized the Little Mermaid. Oh, they used to have a, a, a the wiener on the box art. Do you oh remember yeah, that? yeah, the hidden penis, hidden wiener. <laughs> That's great. Just like Atlantis, lost to sea. Uh, where were we going? Um, um, diagnosis. So people react in different ways. I think that there is an onus on the person to uh, try to... I mean, I guess each to each their own. Um, I try to manage my symptoms in a way that I can be a functioning part of... Like a positive thing in people's lives and stuff. Mm-hmm. In the same way I treat my PTSD. is like, here's the thing I have. I'm going to do my best to mitigate the worst of it. Uh, am I angry that society is designed in such a way... That both my ADHD, autism, and PTSD all make me an outsider? And do I resent the fact that I have to, like, really bend over backwards to conform? I sure do. I'm going to do it anyway, because I don't want to be alone. And, like... Well, that's... You know, we were talking about how uh, these diagnoses can be such a uh, positive thing for some people. But what I've also seen is people react like it's... Uh, they've just been handcuffed. Like they have a ball and chain around their neck. Oh no, I have this. Shit. Shit. I think that's kind of what I was talking about too. People don't just give excuses to other people. They give excuses to themselves. And they're like, I can't do this. I have ADHD. And it's like, no, it's just going to be harder. Like maybe maybe a lot harder. Mm-hmm. But like, you could probably do it. Yeah. Like if you wanted to. If, like, if it's something that you care about enough to be upset that you can't do it. You probably could. Yeah. I mean, well, I fought in a war. Well, I'm saying like people are, they get it, especially as adults, and they panic. And they're like, fuck, like everything's going to be so hard and, and I, I have all these symptoms and... It's like, yeah, but you already did. Yeah. And, and first of all, like just because you're diagnosed with something doesn't mean you're going to have every single symptom. No. And it doesn't, and the thing about diagnoses is they're, they're fluid and, and there's, within each diagnosis, there's you know, spectrums and all of that. And and I think especially with ADHD is that not enough people understand that because they use the word disorder. It's just a different way 
of processing information. Well, that's why they've been moving to neurodivergent. Yeah. Uh, I think then disorder. There's also, I think, been an effort to change. Like, I know PTSD, people want to call it PTS because it's not a disorder. It's just a different way, a sensory processing and reactionary system. Mm -hmm. PTSD is not necessarily a bad thing. It It's just an inconvenient aspect of the fact that human brains will change to adapt to an environment so severely with such sudden vigorance. That's a word, right? That, yeah. that they will, like, your brain, it's not like you have a problem when you have PTSD. I mean, it is a problem, but... Basically, like, a thing happened that your brain immediately adapted to, mm-hmm. or over time adapted to, and that the way that it adapted was advantageous to that situation. So for me, being jumpy and being um, uh, super high alert and, and not focusing so much on my emotions and being more reactionary was super beneficial in combat and in Afghanistan, in a, in a at any time something could pop off sort of way, because it did. Right. And it kept me alive. And right. it kept everybody alive. And then you come home to America and there's no new trauma that makes your brain adapt to that. It's just adapted to the way it was before in a new peaceful environment. And humans aren't as good as animals at shaking that off. Yes. And that happens with anything. And it's not... So calling it a disorder is almost like, well, you process that information incorrectly, Or incorrectly. Yeah. And it's like, No. You actually did such a good job surviving that you can't stop. Yeah. You're really, really... You did the best thing. You're too good at that. That's the problem. It's like we were discussing earlier. Your fight or flight instincts were activated. Mm -hmm. And like you said, we returned to a safe arena and we struggled to let those go. And then it starts to get in the way of our daily functioning. And that's maybe when people came in and described it as a disorder. Sure. Well, it used to be like shell shock. Shell shock. And um, war fatigue. Mm-hmm. And then they did more research and more research and more research. Honestly, Afghanistan and Iraq have been consequential in the amount of research that's been done into TBIs, PTSD complex PTSD, all that stuff has come out of these just case study after case study and like statistic after statistic of just like, okay, we have an idea of what happens when we send these people into a meat grinder in a Mm -hmm. modern context where we're following their medical progress. It's it's a very different war and we, you know, they, a lot of people, a lot less people are dying, but a lot more people, we're having more injury to psychological yeah psychological or more more people are coming back wounded because the medicine is so effective at keeping them alive Mm -hmm. it used to be if you lost a limb or something you probably weren't coming back and now you could lose all four oh like the better medical technology dude in when i was in afghanistan in 2010 and this is so there's been 10 years of research since then you had something like an 87 percent survival or if you if the medic got to you and you got to a hospital, you had like a 93% chance of surviving because the medicine had gotten so good at specifically trauma that if you didn't die immediately or within the trip to the hospital, you'd probably make it back and survive a really long time because we can stop. You can cut off every arm and leg and you, your chest is armored. So mm-hmm. you're, you know, even if you get shot in the lung, as long as it's not your heart or brain 
or you have a bleed that we can't stop, which is not many, mm -hmm. you could lose a lot of your body. People did, and they now they're living their life like that, and uh, that's a lot. That's a lot to survive. Yes. More burns, care has gotten better. Like the more medicine gets better, the the worse things we can survive yeah. and then have to process. The irony. The irony. Because like, and at the same time, what has not advanced is our mental health care. Yes. Almost at all in response to all this. We've identified quite a few problems and we know what it is, but we largely are still kind of fumbling on how to fix it. Mm -hmm. Well, I, I, I don't know the exact statistic, but uh, so veterans who... Um, you know, self-harm to, for lack of a, sure, you know, is astronomically high, astronomically high. 22 a day. Yeah. And that's in, in, in some ways that's almost a bigger threat than the actual. It war. actually is. We've yeah. lost far more to that than we have to combat. Which is, and a lot of them didn't even deploy. Damn. So it's not necessarily like the war trauma. It's training them to be an instrument it, a lot of it is you made them a gun and they never went off. Mm -hmm. You trained them to be ready for this thing and then they never experienced... That's, there's a huge trauma there that goes unspoken and undiscussed is all the people who trained and then never went. Yeah. And now they're just... Yeah, I trained for this thing and I never did it. Yeah. It's like people who train for the Olympics but don't get to go. That's like... I don't. I, I would just call it war blue balls. But, war blue balls. But like in a more serious context. Yeah. And like I know a lot of people where that's a, a huge struggle for them. And I I remember that feeling before I went, and I empathize with that because it is intense. Because mm -hmm. you're training day after day after day for this one thing, and then you never do it, and it's just like it's like loading a spring, and then it never releases, mm -hmm. and you just hold that tension in. Mm -hmm. And I get it. And it's like, okay, we got to learn to tell... How do we... Other than sending them into combat, which is its own barrel of uh, yeah, yeah. wax, how do we uncoil that? And there's not a lot of research into... The, the, our military is not spending its budget on how do we unsoldier soldiers. It's, it's how do we make them and keep them alive. Mm -hmm. And then when they get home, it's like, well, I guess it's the VAs. Well, I, I was going to bring that up. So, it, you know, similar in uh, Soldier Returning Home... There's a, a parallel to be made to kids with ADHD dealing with schools is that I think there's a secondary trauma of dealing with these institutions that are just, they don't give a shit. They're, they don't, don't. They don't give a shit. They're not adapted at all to handle these challenges. And it's like I said, they're just like the DMV. Stamp, get out. Stamp, I, get out. I think a few teachers do a good work in the special education department. Uh, tries and, I, and it does good work but like underfunded under resourced mm -hmm. uh, treated poorly it's like if you're because i was the sped kid that was how it was like oh you're the sped kids where's your helmet and yeah. it's just like oh it's an insult like mm -hmm. i was so mad when they put me in the special education because it was like oh i'm defective mm -hmm. and no one really sat me down and like helped me understand that they just i really liked the person i worked with we we had a nice bond but it was still like uh, you were like, it's like the military. If you go ask for mental health care, you're a social pariah. Mm -hmm. It's like, oh, ooh. yeah, get out of here. Yeah. You're gonna, you're gonna infect the rest of us. And so that secondary trauma is what you know. We were already talking about the link between something like ADHD and anxiety and depression. 
Yeah. That feeling of just never fitting in. And because you don't. And, and when you do, because for me, I've learned now, uh, I fit in when I am loud and funny and boisterous and I let, I let that out. People respond. And in school, they were like, that part about you is wrong and mm-hmm. you should keep it away. And so everyone didn't like me because I was never allowed to be fun or excited or happy. Because it was like, oh, that's disruptive. These Your joy is disruptive. The the differences were treated like a, a negative rather than a positive. Absolutely. And I was taught that like all of those things about me were bad mm-hmm. and a problem to be solved. And if only I'd just take enough of my medicine, I would stop. I would just sit quietly and do my work like a good little bee. Mm-hmm. How sad is that? It's so ugh, that one's an individual. So it's funny that I, I tell a lot of my clients that our society is addicted to curing things. Curing things. Oh, and, 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 and this is a great example. Oh, this, this child is boisterous. Let's, let's give him pills till he's not. Oh, this person is like this. Let's give them pills until they're not. Oh, they're like this. Let's do this. Oh, they're like this. Let's do this. And what, what's the message that sends? That sends that, hey, um, human nature is wrong and we need to mold it until it fits into our capitalist, uh, you know, oligarchy. You better make capital, kid. Yeah. You'll never get a job if you can't, if you can't stop fidgeting. Oh my God, who's going to want to hire you, person who has energy and enthusiasm yeah. for specific things? But here's... your little shit. Here's the irony is if you look at history, who are the people who are remembered the most? Oh, for sure people on the spectrum. Yes, absolutely. I think every... I, I maintain this, this quiet little belief that like every consequential person of history was either a sociopath or on the spectrum or had some sort of neurodivergence. Absolutely. Because why else would they tear at the fabric of what was so violently like the only people who really dig into like but why though are people who either have a neurodivergence and they just literally see the world a different way or care so little that they're gonna just break it to their whim that's a good that's a good point that's 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 why in my head it's just been uh um i think of normies as sheep Nice. Go on. I'm a Republican now. Yeah. No, I think neurotypicals are comfortable in the status quo. And then there are two opposing forces that shape human history. And that's uh, autistic people and sociopaths. And they've just been warring for millennia. So, so. I'm I'm banging my fists together uh, in a very, shall we say, autistic way. Autistic people represent like scientists who want to like. Brilliant scientists, artists. And, and like, even military strategists who are just, like, a lot of autistic people make their way into the military because it's order and sense. And it's like, this is exactly how you be a person. And this is exactly how you do the barracks. Yeah. And it's written down and it's precise. And then they become a general. And then they get to move the pieces around. Yeah. And then the sociopaths are, like, the politicians. And they, they demand power and, yeah. and wealth. And, and, and they just don't. Apparently Elon Musk is autistic. I think also Mark He's Zuckerberg. He's also a sociopath. Uh, but like, see, it's most true. Of Mark Zuckerberg has has been um, yeah. rumored. Any anyone who's a billionaire who who didn't just inherit it, and yeah, because he they they looked at the world and saw novel solutions to it. Mm-hmm. So, like, what people don't understand is that these neurodivergencies 
there, you know, yeah. I mean, is it difficult if the kid is bouncing up and down in the back of the classroom? Sure. Maybe that kid goes to a school where that's encouraged. Yeah. Maybe that's the fucking springboard for every fucking thing. I mean, right now we have this computer. Who invented the computer? Uh, Alan Turing. You, you're going to tell me that guy wasn't autistic? Oh, Jesus he so Christ. was. Yeah. So was. And there's probably... And sp- gay. Yeah. You know? Thank the queers. We have computers. Although there is a secondary theory that I is not as pleasant, um, but probably true, is that um, good things come out of pressure. So all the trauma that these people and all the survival that they've endured probably is what creates the pressure that allows them to create those I, such things at, and then crushes a lot of the rest. I don't... I, 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 can I know s- I'm funnier and where I am today because of the pressures of society. Yeah, but that... But that... that What you're talking about is... is I actually read this book recently. I listened to it. Um, <laughs> where they talked about the this concept that anxiety is a good motivator for people which is based off of some like 1908 study they did with rats involving breathing and stuff and that it's not necessarily as uh true as we like to believe right that people don't create marvelous things under pressure i'm not saying that but like it doesn't have to be present people can like people like right now people are just you know going to like going to space you know, they're building these Mars... A lot of pressure there. <laughs> From who? Um, the rigors of space travel and, like, government yeah, funding. But, but, and like, but it's not like, it's not like no. okay, we need to get to Mars. <laughs> I mean, we kind of do. The planet's dying. I mean, Elon Musk understands that. That's right. why he's trying to run away. Right. I, I would... Or maybe he knows something we don't. Yeah. Maybe he does. Why is he so insistent on getting to Mars? He has such a weird face. He, like, I, I'm, it's just like, why does every autistic billionaire have just such a weird face? Because they're probably not masking. Yeah. They, and, and like, their face is completely slack because they don't have to do the social rigors yeah. of putting on a mask. And it is weird to look at and, because yeah. it, they're not, that's why everyone's like, he's a lizard, he's a robot, because he's not masking. He which doesn't. Which is super fun and ableist. He doesn't smile. He doesn't have to. And it's it's not even that. I'm telling you, that's what I'm like when I'm alone. You're like Elon Musk. I literally, you want me to try to unmask? All right, let's, let's do it. Okay. Oh, my God. <laughs> All right, you need to stop. Am I wrong? If you couldn't see it, he just made a really serious and creepy face. No, I bet I just took the mask off. Oh, my God, dude. That was so weird. I'm like scarred by that. Don't ever do that again. That's so ableist! I would rather see your butthole than your unmasked face. That's (laughs) offensive. Okay. (laughs) So what you just said is I reject who you actually are. Keep your mask on at all times around me. You just look like... Never be yourself. You just look like you were going to murder someone in a cabin in the woods. That's what... (laughs) You ableist prick. What? I'm just... I'm just... It's just your face. It's not you. It is me. That was, that was scary. That's what I look like when I'm alone. That was, dude, you look like a... You should probably stop coming up with comedic things to say. Okay, I'm sorry. You are making fun of like... I'm being... Every... Do you see like why, like, I mean, this is a good learning opportunity. So like, I get it's 
unpleasant looking. It's like a thousand yard stairs. No, I, I, it's just a, you just were not, it wasn't that weird. <laughs> you just <laughs> wanted to be contrarian. I just, I, a little bit of obnoxious contrarian. But I do Gene. think it's a good jumping off point. Gene didn't mean it. Yeah. And you can't cancel him for it because this was on purpose. Thank you. And a segue to talk about how people do find it unpleasant and why they do make fun of these billionaires because it's uncomfortable to humans to see someone who isn't mirroring their social niceties. Yes. Humans don't like other outsiders and other and people who don't. If I smile and you don't smile, something's wrong. Mm. And it's all internal and subconscious. And so when an autistic person is themselves or just doesn't mask, it is unpleasant to that part of the brain that is expecting a social response. Right. Even if you yourself are conscious this person has autism and they're not masking. It is still internally, like subconsciously, your brain's going like, ah, they're not, yeah, they're not doing the human thing right. And it's really, that's why we mask. Mm -hmm. And then people will go, well, you can take your mask off with me. I want, I, because they think you'll still be socially adept. It'll just be different. And then you take the mask off and they're like, you're just, oh, I don't like that. So I, I, something just occurred to me. Do you think part of why it's so uh, disturbing to some people is because it reveals what a facade social niceties are? Like it's this widely bought into myth that people are pleasant and like to smile at each other. And that this is like, nope, we are human beings. We are animals deep down. A little bit of both. I do think that, like, there is a usefulness to tipping the cap and being like, we are not enemies mm -hmm. to everyone you come across. Because we're so deep down used to being prey and at war. Like, subconsciously, there's a part of our brains that are like, I am all a survival. Yeah. Are you a threat? You Are you, are you a threat? Especially if you're, like, a small woman. Yeah. Surrounded by big men. Like, yeah. every single one of them is, is potentially a, a threat. threat. Even yeah. when you're a man, other yeah. men are all potentially Absolutely. a threat. And, and, and really are. Like, in New mm. York, I'm constantly like, yeah, everything's chill right now. But at any moment, someone on the subway could it's punch true. me in the face. It's because true. it happens all the fucking time. Mm. My buddy, you know, the other day, the guy got punched in the face oh, in the yeah. subway. It's like, what did you do? Nothing. He just walked up and punched mm. me. And it's like, yeah, because there's millions of people here. And some of them are going to be unhinged. Yeah. And like, so it is a necessary part of our evolution. And even in our just, um, our communities to just communicate to one another. I'm not a threat. I like you. We're friends. Constantly reinforcing each other of like, we're still friends. I still like you. We'll still, you know, mm. all of that I think is a big advantage. And furthermore, I like it. I like when people affirm to me. I have found a lot of like neurodivergent communities that are very good about audibly telling one another affirmations. Yes. Of like, hey, I like you, and you're not a bad person, and your anxiety isn't you. And they'll just say it to each other, because they don't have another way to communicate mm -hmm. that, because everyone is mostly so either autistic or just bad at socially communicating. They all but look. they're all aware of it. There's also a nice thing where occasionally people go, sorry, I was disassociating, and everyone's mm -hmm. just like real chill about it. And it's mm -hmm. nice, because it's people won't get uncomfortable they'll just disassociate on camera and no one's weird and no one's mean and they're just like oh sometimes they'll be like oh uh, are you okay like they'll notice and they'll be like are you okay but everyone's like really they do it that's interesting because 
one I think I might have read this in the book or maybe I just came up with it on my own because I'm brilliant, but <laughs> I've been telling my clients recently that the the number one weapon we have is awareness, right? And I think that's a really good example of that is people saying, "Oh, I'm I'm sorry I was disassociating" or "Oh, I'm sorry uh you know, I know that I've trouble communicating this, so I just want to tell you affirm you give you an affirmation Mm -hmm. that is utilizing the weapon of awareness towards oneself having awareness of oneself of one's symptoms and then addressing that i agree i think that's why these communities are so helpful although i will say i have found a i've been struggling around neurotypical people because i've become so pleasantly accustomed to just saying exactly what's happening to me. Mm. Oh, sorry, I disassociated. Well, could you just say that again? And when I when a normal a neurotypical person is like, "I'm sorry, what?" Yeah, and you're like, "Oh, I, I have this neurological. Uh, you know, I'm ADHD, and that means that sometimes my, you know, I, I just disassociate. It's kind of like pause on a computer or like a safe mode, and they're like, "You do what?" I'm like, <laughs> yeah, "Oh, cool." Yeah. So I know you have like no frame of reference for yeah, this because yeah. your life is a delight, and you just understand. And I'm, like, resentful of, like, oh, cool, now I have to, like, laboriously explain a concept to you that you have no frame of reference of and almost always won't accept is something they don't do. That makes me so fucking mad. What do you mean by that? Every time I explain something to a neurotypical person, I'm like, oh, I just, I have a really hard time concentrating because I have executive dysfunction. They're like... Oh, I get it. I'm just like that. Uh, and I'm like, you're not just like that. Because if you were, you'd have ADHD yeah, too. Yeah. In fact, I guarantee it's not the same level because I want to die and you're <laughs> a peppy person. And like, and they're, it's because they just literally have no frame of reference of what that's like. But they, a lot of people have the, not everyone, but a lot of people have the arrogance of like, oh, I... I get it's like how white people refuse to acknowledge racism. Yeah. I've never experienced that. And they say so have no concept of like everywhere you go you get judged. So they're like, no, that's not real. That's mm-hmm. too far from my experience. I, I think a better metaphor would be uh and I've heard uh mostly older white people say this, like, I know what racism's like. I went to an all black school. And it's like, okay, no. I mean, maybe you were discriminated against for a couple of hours, but you don't know what the fuck it's like to be a second-class citizen in a society 24 hours a day, seven days a week. So, yeah, maybe you do have difficulty concentrating sometimes, but uh, you don't know what it's like to have... Someone pointed out, I love that, they think they're the main character. Yes. And the main character doesn't have more interesting friends. (laughs) Yeah, yeah. That's a good point. But I also feel like in a weird, twisted way, that is them trying to be supportive. Some, But that's the thing. It's like, it, it's an, un, it's like, so the biggest charity in America for autism is openly saying that their goal is to eradicate it. Mm. Imagine that. You're talking about? Autism Speaks. Yeah. The puzzle. I think is the one. Yeah, yeah. Am yeah. I wrong? No, because I gonna, gonna... I had posted on our Twitter uh, one of their things for World Autism Day, and uh, a bunch of people gave me some feedback on it about. Oh, they're the worst. Yeah. Autism. Um... It's autism speaks. Yeah. 
Yeah, he makes a lot of them. Okay, so I am correct. And they want to eradicate it. And that's... No autistic person wants that. Mm-hmm. Or, you know, I'm not... We're not a monolith, but, like, most of us don't want to be eradicated. So... I would... Would I like society to be better accommodating? Yes. Do I want to find the genetic marker for autism and get rid of it? God, no. I think that's when human progress stops. Mm-hmm. So, like... No. So they, they, and that makes me angry because there's a bunch of neurotypicals who are like, oh, that sounds so hard for you. Let's get rid of it. Then you can be like us. Mm-hmm. Uh, no thanks. So there's, I'd there's, rather die. There's judgment in that approach. I also wouldn't want to be neurotypical. Yeah, it sure, sure, it seems more pleasant, but like, ugh. Why? So, okay. What, what about these diagnoses do you like or enjoy? Or, or, what do you derive meaning from, from these? I think that I'm a unique person. Mm-hmm. And I think that not because I've decided that, but because largely every human I've ever met has gone out of their way to tell me how weird I am. <laughs> and I've decided I really like that. I like being weird and different. I like being an alien. Yeah. It's fun. But and it's but it's also tough. taxing and draining. But like, it's me. Uh, other than like perhaps in the in the midst of a meditation where I realize we're all one, but when I'm when my ego is engaged, I'm like I like this being. They've done quite a few wonderful things, more wonderful than terrible, I think. Mm-hmm. And and in the face of overwhelming odds, continues to create uh, uh, things that gr- bring others joy. And I'm like that's cool. I like that. I don't want to get rid of all that just so I could have an easier time at the grocery store. Like, at a certain point, I'm like, this is fine. I, I will accept all of these negative... When I'm in my good moods, I, I accept these negative repercussions because in turn, I get to do things no one else can do. And that's kind of neat. So it's like like we were talking about earlier, the, the kid who bounces up and down in the back of his third grade math class. Is it is it tough for him? Yeah. But then does he turn around and invent the internet? Hell yeah. Another, I, I would like to make a D&D analogy. I feel like having autism is like being a spellcaster. It comes with a lot of downsides, but you also get to have magic. And like, sure, you could just go be a fighter. And they're, it's a very useful, versatile class. But I like casting spells. Mm-hmm. And if you took that away from me, I would be annoyed. Yeah. In fact, I had a character who was a spellcaster, and I tried to make them more of a fighter, and I hated it. Mm-hmm. I was like, I like the spontaneity of my weird fucking brain. Because it is very chaotic and weird. That's like what I like about when I'm in improv or whatever. My brain's like, what if, what if we said this stupid thing? Mm-hmm. And I enjoy that. And I would hate to just be uh, good at fitting in. Well, it's kind of like what I talked about on my solo episode. Um, which you can check out on our Buzzsprout. But I said that, you know, the things in life, our traumas, are also kind of what fuel our triumphs. I have a friend who I directly said to, I appreciate your trauma because it makes me like you more. Mm -hmm. And I'm sorry you had to experience it, but I very much enjoy the result. And like, they were like, yeah, I mean, I can't take it back. So thanks. (laughs) (laughs) Which probably, how did that make you feel? I, no, I mean, like, yeah, they liked it, so I was happy I said it. Oh, you said that. I said that. that to them. Oh, okay. I I like who I am. It's really hard, a lot. 
and depressing, and I don't like those bits so much, but those bits aren't really like me. It's more of just like the depression and lack of, um, it's like the lack of me. And I, mm-hmm. I like, um, I like who I am. Yeah. I feel like I think of, I think of, uh, things in terms of like an improv team. And sometimes you get a great straight man and they're really good at that. They're, they're just wonderful at standing still in chaos. Or you get someone who's really great at starting a scene or someone who's just really good at committing. And then I like to think of myself as just pure goddamn chaos. And I would just come in and be like, oh no, the octopus. I'm yeah. immediately a bad improv thought. But like, yeah. I like to introduce chaos into scenes. That's my favorite role. It's every character I play in D- D&D when I do improv on the my shirt. Ships of the Northern Fleet. Mm-hmm. Glurp is quite a bit of chaos, chaos character. Yeah. And it works well with those other people. I bounce well off of them. Which to me says I'm not an outsider. I'm a crucial part of a team. I, I can feel that in improv that I, I, I add quite a bit to the equation. Um, and it's fine. I don't, if I don't want to be a straight man or the, or the, uh, the guy who commits to the bit, I, I, I want to be the chaos goblin and I'm happy with that. And, you know, to try, it's, it's the most fun to try to round things into a, a, a final cogent point. Do you think that, Having this diagnosis, it gives you some more awareness and understanding of yourself. So that when you do struggle in certain areas, you are like, okay. I think it's really, really useful to have the language to name what you're dealing with. So if it's a diagnosis, I don't have like a formal note from a doctor. I've just had several doctors go... Yes, I agree with you. You probably have autism. Mm-hmm. And I'm like, I guess that's good enough. Because, I mean, at the end of the day, I, I don't have a piece of paper anymore anywhere that says I have ADHD. Yeah. So, like, I just, I can tell you that when I was a kid, they told me that. But I, I don't even think I could prove that. Yeah. You know how little I think I can prove it? The army didn't know. Yeah. I didn't tell them, and then I got in. So I'd have to find, like, childhood records if they exist. And the idea and of like, having to prove that you have something is... And then I get for some people, and it's also one thing we haven't talked about is it is it's a privilege to get a diagnosis because yes. it can be vi- that's one thing stopping me. It's like two thousand dollars to go see a, an mm-hmm. autism specialist, and yeah. I don't have and, and so here are the outcomes. I get told no, and I get a, I get a two thousand dollar no, or I get told yes, and I just know what I already knew. Yeah, and I I have two thousand less dollars, and nobody anywhere cares. Yeah. I'm not going to get disability for it. You get a $2,000 no and a $2,000 yes. And it's like, okay, well, I I think I could tell you, I think from any of the stories I've told on this podcast alone, you'd you'd be like, that, well, yeah, Mm -hmm. probably, Mm -hmm. (laughs) probably that. Um, So I don't, and it's like, okay, well, I'm not like the head of a charity who's using my, my diagnosis. I'm not using my diagnosis for anything. So I don't think it matters. So it's not like I'm like, hey, everybody, it's me, the autistic internet guy. And it's like, oh, you're not even autistic. It's like I I talk about my struggles with mental health and I'm pretty sure I have it. And I usually coach it like that. I'm not like, actually, fucko. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, I I think... I watched the dog in the nighttime and I was like, yeah, that's my brain. I think think the most... Honestly, the most... You know, the relationship that a person with a diagnosis 
that most benefits from the diagnosis is that person's relationship with themselves. I agree. Right? And for some people, it is an absolutely necessary, they need to hear a doctor say it. I'm a contrarian, so I don't fucking care. Mm -hmm. I argue with most of my doctors. Here's the thing. I'm often right. Yeah, well... Uh, that kidney stone I'm fucking with, yeah. they thought was something else. And I just kept going back and being like, you're wrong. Yeah. And they were like, getting all pissy. And then finally I got them to do a cat or a scan and they're like, oh, you do have a kidney stone in there. One doctor was right the whole time. A bunch of the other ones were, were the ones I was arguing with. So, but, you know, what I'm trying to get at is, because one, one, One fundamental aspect of therapy that I try to, you know, tell everyone is, is self-compassion, right? And I think that's where the power of a diagnosis comes in, where, you know, you have a task you have to do, right? And let's say before diagnosis, you're like, oh, why is this so hard? But it's so easy for everyone else. What the fuck is wrong with me? God. And then you get the diagnosis and the diagnosis says, Hey, doing tasks like this are pretty difficult for people with this diagnosis. So that task comes along and you're like, okay, like this makes sense why it's difficult because I have this diagnosis and it's okay to struggle with it. Have you experienced anything like that? Yes. I always, lately, whenever I like dissociate or when I have like a particularly rough day or the, re the, the rejection sensitive dysphoria kicks in. I will start to think like, oh, this is, yes. I'm overreacting. And not like, ugh, I'm overreacting. I always do this. What's wrong with me? Personal failing. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm like, oh, chill. Like, I'm overreacting because I have this thing. And like, if I give it a minute, I know it'll get a little better. So I'm maybe I don't send this angry email to the landlord <laughs> yeah. about why the garbage truck keeps coming. Maybe I take a sec and I... I let I breathe. Yeah. Maybe I don't tell Gene he's an asshole <laughs> yeah. a third time today. Yeah. Just twice, but not a third time. Maybe, maybe just because I'm listening back to the episode and I'm annoyed, maybe I don't reach out in a text message yeah. and continue a fight. Yeah. That he's not a part of. No, it's it's like I said earlier, the the greatest weapon we have is non-judgmental awareness of ourselves. And so the diagnosis is can be a tool. I think it's funny that someone wrote, LOL, the eye contact. And I don't know if they think I'm looking at you because I've mostly been looking past you to the window. Yeah, or yeah. looking I've at noticed. you when you're not looking at me. I've noticed. I don't like eye contact. I don't like it either. I'm a big fan of looking down. I like looking at people. I like making eye contact with people I want to sleep with and little else. We are making eye contact. I know we are. Are you? Are you... I get, I'm, I'm, I'm titillated by, <laughs> by, a, by a, a, a pretty girl's eyes. I'm like, ooh, this is exciting eye contact. Any other eye contact, I'm like, this is too much eye contact. I it's weird. This. It's weird. You That's know, why I like the military, because you were allowed to stare straight ahead. Oh, it's so especially great. Especially if you were being yelled at. You all, you would just lock your eyes about a quarter inch above a person's, oh, I, I would good. stare at people's eyebrows. That's I, so And great. you would just put your hands behind your back and you would just like, you know... That's amazing. It was, oh, it was perfect. We should do that in real life. Just completely disassociate. Stare. Stare. That's why I like the military, because when you were getting yelled at, they, like, put you in the getting yelled at position, oh. where, like, you'd stand, you'd put your hands behind your back, 
and you'd lock your head forward and you'd stare off and they would get right next to your face and yell at you and I'd be like, I am receiving stimulus. <laughs> how I have done wrong, sir. That's so good. And then they walk away and they're like, go away. And you're like, thank you for not making me engage in small talk after you have, <laughs> have torn me down as a person, sir. Oh, and then you'd that's... walk out of the room. And then your response was like, yes, sir. You didn't have to be like, um, okay, well, I guess how I'm feeling. You'd be like, yes, sir. No, sir. Hua, sir. <laughs> and like sometimes I could let a little sass in and, be, and they, I'd be mad. i go, Hua, sir. And they'd be like, are you sassy? I'd be like, never, sir. Uh, I, am a, I am a functioning member of this unit and I would never result to sarcasm. And he's like, God damn it, I hate you. Oh, <laughs> I'd be like, man. oh, I loved it. It was, it was like I had rules for the engagement mm-hmm. of like, you outrank me and I, that means I have to stand like this, but I, I don't have to engage in any social, I don't have to figure out the miasma of social content. Yeah, yeah. stand here and I get yelled at. So, this is going to be a weird question, but does the military kind of play into autism? Uh, I honestly think a lot of people in the military, I think the military isn't saying it, but uh, some people like it too much. And it becomes yeah. like their whole personality. Uh, and they yeah. are like, I am a soldier. And mm-hmm. I would bet some of them are on the spectrum where they're just like, oh, cool. Here's, here's rules and, and, and regulations and people have to follow them. Especially on like subs and stuff. Those nukers. You think oh, every yeah, one of those yeah. is neurotypical? Yeah. I want to stare at these dials all day to see if the nuke is going to go off. Like, yeah, okay. I don't think that's just some yeah. guy named Chad's dream. No. And, and it's a little bit like Star Trek. And you've been talking about how one of the biggest struggles is with like social cues, nuances. Uh, what do I say to a person at a bar in this situation? And the military is just like, no, none of that. None of this bullshit. They tell you up front. <laughs> I get stressed like if I'm going into this store holding a plastic bag from another store, is that okay? <laughs> What are the rules yeah. about what I'm? Am I'm, I'm allowed in a backpack in New York? I've under I understand that because I've watched other people do it, but I'm like that stuff because I don't know. I don't, it doesn't just come naturally to me. So I'm constantly like like an alien watching humans. Why do they do it like that? What are they doing? How do I best blend into that with them? Because mm-hmm. if I don't, people will be weird and mean to me. Yeah, and it's like I don't know. It just comes. Oh yeah, I just walk into the store, man. Like who cares? And I'm like I don't know. What if? Wait, wait, I, I have to ask, so... That's do, a big one for me. Do you ever, are you ever, like, have a bottle of water, and then you're like, oh, I need to run into the store to get something, but you have the half-drinking bottle of water, and you're like, I don't want them to think... Every time. Oh, it's the worst! And then you have to, like, make... Which, in a weird, ironic way, a lot of my black friends are like, I also do that, oh, but because yeah. I think I'll be accused of shoplifting, yeah. and I'm like, I don't know why I'm doing it then, because yeah. <laughs> I've never been... I don't know, but then you have to like very performatively let them know that you came into the store with the water bottle. Yeah, you have anxiety, so you do get what I'm talking about. Yeah, and you're like, oh, I didn't, uh, I didn't steal this. That's how I feel about like every single social interaction ever. Is just you don't know what the rules are, and so you have to... It'd be like if I was like, hey, on Sunday, you're playing D&D with me. And, I, and you were like, what are the rules? And I was like, figure them out. Oof. And you better figure them out quick, because we're going to war. Uh... <laughs> well, it's true that... And you were like, okay, um, can I... And you'd be, you'd be watching us to see what we could do. And then you'd have to look and you'd be like, okay, I, I do that. And like, no, you can't do that. Only he can do that. 
which is racism for me because <laughs> that's super confusing yeah. what the rules are there. Yeah. And and it's like no, that guy's allowed to say that, but that person isn't. And like someone has to explain to me why. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and then when I hear it, I'm like, cool, because he's a paladin, or yeah, you know. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, so the the thing is about social situations is no one ever really gets that explanation. But do you? Do you just lack complete and total confidence in yourself to be able to figure it out? No, here's the thing. I do figure out the rules. Then people violate them mm-hmm. because they're unspoken agreements amongst all, all of them have an unspoken agreement. And then some douche nozzle comes in and is like, actually, I'm going to do whatever the fuck I want. And I'm like, but the rules, every you go in and you say hello and they say, how are you? And then you lie you say, I'm fine, how are you? And then they lie, and that is it. And then you hand them your card, and then you punch the buttons, and you walk out of the bodega. That's how you do it. And then ah. someone comes in and goes, hey, man, fuck you. I said no mustard. And I'm like, whoa. That goes against we, the rules. I got to fight you, I guess. Yeah, like, I don't yeah. know what comes next. And like, I, And that's why I hate narcissists, because they're not following the rules. Because yeah. they don't have to. And I'm mad that they don't. Well, so it sounds like the real struggle here is with ambiguity. Yes. And that, which is confusing for all people, but I think for people with these diagnoses, it's just like, it's un, you, you just can't, it's, it's almost. I think for some people there's some ambiguity, but they have an intuitive sense of what to do. Yeah. And I don't, I lack that intuitive sense. Okay. In those regards. I have intuition in other areas. So, like... Like, like when people are dying. Like, uh, like so when you go into a bathroom, right? I, I, I imagine... You live in New York. This has probably happened. And it's, like, confusing the sink layout. And you're like, where am I supposed to get the soap from? And Yeah, that is... And you're like, is this this the towel dispenser? How do I get this sink to turn on, right? But then, like, I've entered in some of those situations and I'm like, uh, oh, okay, you push this little ball and the hot water comes out and you wash your hand, right? Yeah. Is Is being autistic where you're like, what is, I just, no, I can't do this. It's more the social pressure of watching everyone else very intuitively uh-huh. like because it's it'd be like it's like D if you don't know how to play and everyone else is doing it flawlessly and you're like i'm sorry do you guys have a book yeah and like for me it was just like i just watched people pair bond and farm friendships and find girlfriends and i was like i don't get it uh what, how do you do that? And they're like, oh, you just be yourself. I'm like, myself is a weird ghoul man that stares <laughs> into the middle distance. I don't think they want that. When I show them that, they run. Mm-hmm. And what they really meant was you have to be, your mask has to be yeah. funny and charming and nice. Yeah. Or find someone who understands and likes the internal part of you and mm-hmm. finds you attractive enough to ignore when your face goes slack. <laughs> Like it did 20 minutes ago. Yeah, well, you were looked mortified. I was, it was like... Isn't it, it's... I. It's, it looked like you were, I, I, you, it looked like you were getting ready to murder someone. Mm-hmm. <laughs> it was so weird. I have to constantly put a little, little I, that's, I've practiced not looking like I'm going to kill someone. <laughs> You've well... That's why I just have like a little smile. A little smile. Just to be like, hey... Not a threat. I yeah. learned this. Yeah, yeah. Because that was like, 
That was like I a, used to just go on dates and be like, so like, <laughs> so, like so like you have like sisters, <laughs> and I oh I monotone. So like when I get tired, I'll be in the ambulance. I'll be like, I've got one patient coming in. <laughs> we got uh, they're there, and they're like, I'm sorry, are you doing a Kermit the Frog bit? I'm like, what? No, I'm not doing that. I I'm just tired. Oh my god! And I talk like that too. The tired I get. And the more that I'm going to just disassociate down to this. And I'm yeah. just going to yeah. <laughs> quietly be like, this is what I look like. <laughs> and right now, I think technically, I'm masking what I think that I look like. This is like a mask on a mask because I'm not comfortable enough to take it all the way off oh, yeah. on a camera in front of strangers yeah. and be like, this is it, everybody. Yeah, yeah. I'm sort of like performatively unmasking. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. There's layer because it's also like a psychological. This is a thing that I have built up through rigorous trauma. It's not a conscious decision. I was like, you know what, dude, I go to the school tomorrow. I'm gonna be charming and fun, and they'll yeah. never know. It was like, oh, I'm getting people are mean and hurtful, yeah. and they were so for 25 years. Yeah. Oh man, and so it, you develop this shell. Everyone does. You develop. I like to think of it like autistic people are supercomputers that lack Wi-Fi cards and and everyone else has one. Mm-hmm. And instead of having the hardware, I developed software that allows me to access and like communicate with other computers, whereas otherwise I wouldn't be able to. Well, what you're describing also kind of sounds a little bit like sociopathy. They are very similar in different ways. Autistic people are often over, so, have so much empathy and emotion floating around that it's disabling mm-hmm. because it's like you feel everything so acutely that you it's like you're taking in all this stimulus and all this social stuff that you don't really have a way to process and then it it you shut down mm-hmm. but they're often not be, and it's not because they lack empathy it's because they have so fucking so much, much it. Yeah. that it becomes overwhelming and then it shuts off as opposed to someone on the other end, which has no empathy. No empathy. However, we often find one another and find little pair bonds. Yeah. Because it's two people masking who are also brilliant. Mm-hmm. So it's it's the only difference is like, like I think, good and evil. Yeah. <laughs> it's And you find, because I have had so many best friends who are absolute monsters. Yeah. That it slowly becomes apparent like, oh, you're just manipulating me. Because I don't think what I'm doing is manipulative. And I've talked to you about this. Mm-hmm. We talked about it earlier. When I'm being fun and jovial and stuff, it's just me being human to fit in. It's like when John Jones, the Martian Manhunter, is wearing his green human just to be more comfortable for everybody. They all know he's a Martian. He's just looking human so they and using human aphorisms so he can blend in. It's like well, it, we, a sign of respect. As opposed to trying to sneak in. Like, yeah. Ha Fuck you. I'll never admit that I'm secretly. We were talking about intent. And it sounds like autistic people, it's a defensive intent. It's like, uh, okay, I will put on this mask. uh, Because otherwise you have rejected me. Although I do suppose sociopaths are the same way. No one's really accepting of sociopaths either. Yeah, but with the sociopath, there's more of a offensive, I'm going to manipulate you and use you. I think that's what you do with the mask matters. Mm -hmm. Which is why I struggle with dating. Because it feels very manipulative. Because I know that I could go into a date... And be more charming and more... And I know Brett people do that. I know that's sort of part of the courting process. But for me, it feels deliberate. 
and uncomfortable, which is why I like to date people who have already seen a couple sides of me. So they kind of know, like, what they're getting into. Well, I mean, so it... for Which you, is why I loathe first dates. It feels dishonest. It does feel dishonest. And the fact that... And it's often, it works, regardless of the, whether they would like me uh, if I weren't putting on, like, super charming mask. Well, what's... You've seen me like that. Yeah. Usually when I'm in, like, I'm performing and I'm really in the pocket... And I'm just like, I'm fun to be around. Yeah. No, I, I remember <laughs> those those Buddha mics at Climate. Yeah. You, yeah, you yeah. were like, you're fun party, party pat. Yeah. Right? And then... and then No one should know that I'm secretly depressed. Yeah, and then I got to know you and was like, ooh, not party pat. <laughs> I'm still fun. But, but um, yeah, I mean... The dishonesty feels like... It feels like I'm, I'm putting on a show... For a reward, and it just—I don't know how to—I don't know how to do the, you know. Well, I which is why I just date people that I like have been around for a while and have a connection. And it's like you—you you know the most. Hopefully, that hopefully, I'd like them to be distant. Distant. I really like when a girl is into me initially, and then, um, and then I show them. What a, a clusterfuck of a person I am. Uh-huh. I really like to uh, say terrible things right up top. Not like awful things. I just like to let slip. Uh, you know me. Just talk to me for an hour. Yeah. And you're like, wow, there's a lot in there to unpack. Mm-hmm. And and that usually turns them off initially. And there's still like, there's a, a period where they'll be like disinterested. And then, um, and then I, I wear them down and then they become warm to me again. That sounds really awful. Every yeah. time I describe it. I'm just into, like, I like knowing if initially, like, I'm attracted to you. And then I like to uh, ruin it. And then I like when they're, I like a disinterested person. It's like, I like romantic comedies. It's, I think it comes down to, I like the setup and the punch of a romantic comedy where there's a mute, meet cute. And then she's like, ugh, not him. And then by the end of the movie, she's like, okay, actually, he's a pretty great guy. Like, that's... It's, That's the dynamic I'm looking for. It sounds like a very chaotic, mm, love it. insecure attachment style. No, because once we get into the relationship, it's like, great. Oh. Uh, so this is all during the courting process. The, uh, that's, I like them to be distant while we're courting. Mm-hmm. Okay. I like to do it. I like to do like a pride and prejudice where I'm like, well, hello there. And she's like, oh, hello, Stuart. I'm busy today. And I'm like, oh, well, then I guess I'll have to attend you tomorrow. And she's like, mm, I guess you will. And then <laughs> it's like six months later, we're like, we are betrothed now. You have proven your tenacity. Okay, what? That's how you used to do it. Oh. You'd just spend months courting a woman and you'd like write her letters. And she'd be like, I said no, Philip. Although I did enjoy your And then she'd be like, but I did enjoy your letter. So I guess I'll speak to you tomorrow. And then she rides off on a horse. <laughs> I thought I thought it was like you go to it's a It's like village. performative um, disinterest where they, uh, they really are interested, but they don't want to admit it to themselves. So you like or to play you. games, you're a game player. N- only that specific game. Okay. Cause you cause you Pride know and the Prejudice. Because I understand the rules of me- medieval courtship. Wow. Where I like prove my worth as a as a quarter. I'm like, oh, did you think that was impressive? I'm also a prince. Yeah. Or whatever. I don't know how they did it. I don't know. I'm more I'm more of an ass man. <laughs> <laughs> All right. That's why I haven't been able to do it over like Tinder. 
Because it's it does not work <laughs> that over medieval courtship. <laughs> because that if you do that over the internet, it's stalking. But if you if you both show up to like if it's playful banter at like a thing you both do. Like if yeah. you're both on a frisbee league and there's like this will they won't that's what I want. Will they won't they energy. <laughs> on the frisbee on team. On the frisbee team. <laughs> You're in a hiking group, so you, and there's one person yeah, who's weirdly dismissive. I'm like, that's the one I, yeah. I think. You like to, like, have met someone before before you start this bizarre game or whatever. Which I think is, that's not, you're not wrong. I think that's a lot of people are like that. Because Tinder is just cold calling. <laughs> Hi, right. do you want to, no? Okay, good, good day. Hey. Yeah, and they're like, no. That's why I don't like Tinder too, because it's rejection after rejection after rejection. And it's like, I don't, I can't. It's fine in real life when when people just aren't interested, Mm. but to have them walk up and go, ugh, no. No, the worst is when they're like, they do swipe right, and then you're like, uh, for me, it's like, what kind of band are you in? Grindcore. No answer for seven weeks. And I'm like, (laughs) okay. Good day to you, ma'am. They're, I, I, I always put that I'm a comedian. They're like, tell me a joke. Oh. And I'm like, well, most of my jokes are about the violent war I fought in. So it's probably not going to come across in text. And they're like, try me. And I'm like, okay. So I tell them a joke. And they're like, that is fucking horrific. That makes me feel bad as a person. Yeah. Yeah, it's great. Is this dirt? Yeah, I don't know. Are we, um, so are, are we, you tired? I, I have to pee. I do have to drive back to Philly. Um, is there anything we haven't covered? I thought this was a really great episode. This, this had an arc. I think it was uplifting. I think we empowered some people. I think that at the end of this, we created, um, the president. Like one of the 34 people watching, mm-hmm. um, this is the moment they're gonna go out. That they're they're gonna they're gonna sit back in their chair and be like, you know what? I'm gonna do it. I'm gonna be. And then they the become president. the president, and uh, and they they get in their in their commencement address. <laughs> they're like, <laughs> my fellow Americans. Oh God, what <laughs> was it? Offensive or just weird? That was your. No, I no come one. before you okay. today. <laughs> And their um pat is the mask slowly slipping <laughs> off where you're like beep boop bop I'm a robot president viewer TikTok boop you are <laughs> so offensive oh come on <laughs> come I like on. it though because I think it really I think you're the shadow behind which I hide all my offense yes you you always hit it right on the head I'm always like subtly offensive and you're just like all the way offensive what yeah. You're the you're you. I'm subtle about it. I think here's what it is. I'm offensive about uh, things like mental health. Yep. And you're offensive about, about race. race. Yeah. It's because <laughs> it's because it fascinates me because yeah. it's it's a thing that everyone says is really important, and so I pay a lot of attention to it. But also a thing I'm not supposed to talk about, mm-hmm. which is weird for like. It's well, weird. it goes back to your. It's like you should be, and it, I get conflicting messages because like, well, you have a platform, you should be talking about this, and other people are like, well, you shouldn't be talking about this because it speaks over the people who should be talking, and it's like I don't. The rules are very murky. 
which we've established is hard it, for me. It's like and the Pride and Prejudice thing. It's also the, the the a source of tension for both me and every other American, and mm-hmm. my instinct is to poke at tension. Yeah. To see if I can get people to laugh, which yeah. is why I bring it up so unerringly. I'm yeah. just like, oh, is it time to bring up and race I'm, I'm, unnecessarily? I, I, and I'm just like, you know, I know. You're terrified of it. Oh, yeah, absolutely. Because I, I, I'm just, I... I, I don't know. I just, I, I don't want to step on anyone's Even toes. right now, acknowledging that you're afraid of it, I can see you Makes me like, uncomfortable. Oh, no. Uh, and not me. And I, you know what's the worst is that, like... It's because you dress like a racist. Thank you. <laughs> okay, okay, wait, wait. So I say one thing about your bandana, and you have a three and a half hour meltdown. Uh-huh. And then you say you dress like a Nazi, and I'm like, okay. Oh, whoa, whoa. I didn't say Nazi. I said racist. You're wearing camo. Oh, what are you pointing at? The army. You were in the army. They wear camo. Nobody wears bird shit ACUs. Oh, I, you didn't wear the camo sweatpants in the army? Sweat Camo sweatpants scream, I hate minorities to oh, me. Oh, that's, you know, you just, that's racist. <laughs> to white people, maybe. <laughs> yeah. Oh, when white people wear them. I'm trying so hard not to go into that like obnoxious, obnoxious. I'm trying to it out of you. Republican. No, you're not going to get. I think you dress Pat, I love tr- everything your you shirt. say. Your pants are Republican. Every, you have Republican pants. Everything you say, I I support. Oh, I support you. your this journey. Is, this is pandering now. I, you know, you're a beautiful human being. No, no one believes you. I like that face you made earlier was charming. Now you're <laughs> specifically being ableist. <laughs> All right, I have to pee. This is a good episode. <laughs> yeah, I agree. Yeah. Um, uh, all right, well, thank Hey, everybody. <clears throat> thank you for watching and listening. Gina's gotten too close to the mic. Yeah. All right. Hey, thank you for listening. If you like what we do, come on over to the Patreon where you can give us $3 to listen to like a special episode. And then one time we did that Die Hard and we, we also interviewed my friend Jake. And we interviewed Jake Cannavale. Toro Calican. So go and go and check all that out, uh, or follow us on Instagram or, or Twitter or yeah. whatever. Yeah, Su- subscribe to our Patreon. Subscribe to yeah, and then um, also have a have a just a, a great day. Have a good have a great day. Uh, it, honestly, if you don't have a great day, it's sort of like fuck you. It's like you're personally attacking us. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So you know. Yeah. Today's not the day to be sad. Yeah. Unless you have like a really good reason. I don't now I just realize like maybe someone's listening to this and like, I'm just really sad about my mom. Yeah, and it's And then we're well, like, you better have a good day and they're like, I was gonna be sad about my mom. You're allowed listen, Sarah, if, you're allowed to be sad about your mom, <laughs> but then tomorrow Tomorrow's me. You new owe day. us a great day. You, okay? you, you owe understand? us a good day some and, some point in the future. Yeah, and Brian Brian? We know what you did. Oh Brian, okay? you like, son of a bitch. Like it's it's gonna you think like oh, Brian, no you one think will you know. can get away with treating your family like that? You you have another oh, thing coming. Now you're on the war porn podcast. Okay. This is the war porn intervention. Brian with a Y. Okay. Oh, yeah. Brian. You think we don't know, but we saw it. Brian. We saw what you did and we masturbating. saw what you put the Y. You masturbating. Can't give specifics, Gene. No, Brian was masturbating. All right, we're done. <laughs> he was masturbating uh, no, to Gene, football on games oh. on YouTube, Brian. <laughs> on Christmas Eve of all days, <laughs> Brian. So loud. I'm sorry. <laughs> Why was it that specific? 
Christmas Eve, your parents were wrapping no, this, your presents and you were downstairs. This feels like a thing you masturbating okay, to stop. AFC highlights. Okay, you gotta AFC. stop yelling. That. Okay. <laughs> okay. Well Gene was pretty good. Um thanks everybody. And there he goes. War porn. Woo! <laughs>